Welcome to the Joy of Comics, episode 15. I am Rich Lepore. Jordan Dalseka. Kevin Schaefer. And I'm some freaking guy. Yeah. <laughs> we have a guest um, as well with us today. Uh, Jordan, why don't you do the intro on Mr. Gabriel Dunstan? All right. Uh, if, if you've listened to the show, he has been with us before. I think he's our first returning guest. Uh, and it speaks very poorly of you that you'd have me back. Yeah, I don't know. That, I mean, it's been two years. <laughs> the I, standards uh, have gone down. Yeah. What can I say? Uh, but Threshold, lower. He, he is a... Great comic creator who I met a few years ago. Uh, he's one of the nicest guys I've met in comics. Don't lie to them. I mean, I'm being completely <laughs> genuine. Uh, and he also uh, draws a lot. I guess that's what artists do, right? You are so lucky to be a comic creator who can draw. I am it's not super luck. jealous. It's oh not gosh. luck. I'm telling you, people. When I was in high school, it's like ah, nobody else is going to draw this crap. I better get started. Yeah, and uh, well, makes sense. We're glad your crap exists and that we can look at it. And we're glad to have you here talking today. You've got a few different projects. A lot, I think, a couple of different things to talk about since you were last here a couple of years ago. And uh, we're excited to dig in. Um, Including my favorite thing ever, the, the end of a trilogy, right? No, it's it's no? Bo book three out oh. of book three out of four. Oh. I'm sorry. You had to do it. I did it. It's book three dragging oh. it out. Yeah. Alright. Not my favorite thing ever. However, hopefully it's really good. Uh, I, I also hope that okay. we'll, we will hope together. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think uh, one, one really good thing that I want to do is, as we were doing sort of prep and talking about uh, the, the things we want to discuss on this episode... Um, man, Radio Gold was flying left and right all around the room. Yeah, we're all so, spent now. So. Yeah, so and, now and you're going to get the dregs. And yeah. it's going to be just awful. But I, I, yeah. I, I heard a couple um, really controversial comments coming from the Gabriel side of the room, so I wanted to get back on these <laughs> it's topics. It's not the first time I've heard controversial comments coming from an well, I, like, I'm a controversy yeah. machine. Yeah. That's what's up. When I, I will. When I was like 12, man, was I, did I love controversy. Trouble and controversy. Either of those. I, now I hate both. I don't like these things. I just create them. <laughs> See, my favorite... Though, is so I know Tommy Lee Edwards uh, through you know, NC Comic Con and everything, and so I'm Facebook friends with him. And he posts all these like like anytime he's mad at Hollywood or like or anything in comics like that's mainstream and all that, he like posts his rants and stuff. But I'm like, dude, you're friends with like half the people who make these. Like what? Like they they're gonna see these and get. It's, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, well, there, I'm sure he knows. You know, no, I know. Friendships are different. Yeah, maybe yeah. they just like busting each other's chops. Oh, I know, I know. But like, it's just funny. Um, but anyway, one of the things that I heard you say was that you are completely fed up with the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Returns, and the Killing Joke. Yeah, and and, and you're okay. Free... So I get your reasons. You make well, what, are, what, are, what, are, what is the reasons? Yeah. <laughs> what are these reasons? Yeah, we've heard them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. listening public. They were yes. supposed to be out of. All right. Uh, uh, so this is weird. Uh, Batman is an extremely important mythic character, particularly a very important uh, American mythic character. Sure. And uh, he means a lot to me the way he means a lot to a lot of comics people. And the interpretation of who the character is and what he does is important because our heroes have something to tell us about morality or how to live our lives the way Greek mythology did, right? And Batman is fundamentally a Christ-like figure. And then you get these two out-of-continuity stories that are just fun. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises. I've never heard anyone say the killing joke fun. is fun. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> We're going to have fun together. Yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises appears, and Frank Miller asks the question, Returns. what? Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Dark Knight Return. Returns. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. I, get so it, I say the wrong Dark Knight Rises is another Batman. Yeah, 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 yeah. My yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Which was significantly worse. <laughs> um, it's an out-of-continuity story, and it's, it's just a fun what-if. A, what happens when Batman gets old? B, right. what if he was just psycho, and that's why he does this? And what if Rob... Robin was a totally different Robin. 
Uh, or he just gets another Robin. Right. Uh, and as that, it's a fun story. And then DC decides, no, this is canon now. Batman is a psycho. Uh, and no, Batman's not a psycho. He's like, like uh, it's it's essentially what happens if Bruce Wayne never got over his parents. What happens mm-hmm. if Bruce Wayne uh, never got therapy? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the actual continuity, it's like, no, he did. When just like every other rich person in the world, he's got spares of everything. So his parents die, and he already has a father figure. Uh, who's known him literally his whole life, mm-hmm. and he's got a mother figure. I, I, I'm a horrible person. I've forgotten her name. He builds a second family that lifts him up. No, he doesn't even build. Like he's an eight year old boy, and he's in the uh, he's at the police station. And here comes his father, Alfred. Here comes his new mother. Uh, uh, what's her name? I forget. I'm so terrible. But she was a a gifted psychiatrist who was a friend of her father's because he was also a doctor. Uh, and so, like, he got therapy from some a, a woman he's known his whole life, a good friend of his family, like, from the word go. He had a mother and a father and a therapist, and so what you have is a character who just grew up as well-adjusted as anybody could be, who makes the decision that organized crime is what's choking Gotham City. Uh, I'm going to take my, my very Jesus-y walk through the desert, and his version was going to Japan and studying martial arts. Sure. Right. Going where nobody knows his name, and doing a lot of thinking, and coming back to Gotham with a plan. And he is going to sacrifice uh, his his health and his body being Batman, and he's going to spend every waking day as Bruce Wayne uh, uh, stuck in philanthropy. And the distinction there being, as opposed to revenge and anger... It's driven out of like uh, honoring his father, yeah. Because his father made the comment, um, you know, this, this city has, is being eaten up by crime, and I, I want that to stop. So he honors that instead of being angry about the death. Yeah. So like saying? his father was was deeply involved in like uh, the way you eliminate crime is mostly economic reasons, and okay. his father was deeply deeply involved in that. However, right? however, if organized crime controls every aspect of uh, the local government, then any money you put into the economy funnels into the organized crime and the effect never takes place so the law acts as a shield and the shield protects the just and the unjust alike uh so the Isn't idea that like the tagline from law and order uh you know that at the beginning when they go uh uh in 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 the in the justice system there are two equal uh you, you ever see the beginning of that law no i I, I watched every single episode of okay. law and order right, it's a great show sorry the idea is that the law is a shield that projects, protects the just and the unjust alike, mm-hmm. and the idea of Batman is the sword that attacks only the unjust. There's the idea of Batman as an agent of the police, and the idea of Batman as a vigilante. And if you look up Webster's definition right now, the vigilante is somebody who passes judgment over somebody and carries out a sentence where Batman never carries out a sentence. He always ties the bad guy up, leaves right. them on the doorstep of the police right. with an orgy of evidence and dares them to look the other way. They can't. So right. he's shaming the corrupt police into doing okay. their job. All right. He's acting as an agent of the police. So there's this idea of Batman, like, morally I can't kill anybody because a gun killed my parents. Uh, you would no. hate Batman versus Superman. Yeah, oh my no, gosh. I don't He brands believe... dudes in that. Yeah, see, I, that's, I don't think that's the case. The case is, if Batman ever kills a guy... Well, then he is a vigilante, and he's no longer an agent of the police. As long as he doesn't kill anybody, he doesn't do anything permanent. As long as he doesn't do anything permanent, Gordon will never really have a fire under his butt to go after Batman. 
something that bothers the crap out of me is everybody says, if Batman's such a hero, why doesn't he just kill the Joker? Batman says, why don't you kill the Joker? I've put him in jail 50 times. For some reason, you people decide he's not a criminal, he's insane, and you put him into this... Some minimum security. Minimum security place where he just pops out again. Batman is also showing them... So, okay, I'm sorry. Backing up. The (laughs) The fact that the Dark Knight Returns became canon, Batman is a psycho, bothers me no end, because we had a wonderful retelling of a Christ-like figure uh, destroyed. It's like, no, he's he's putting on a bondage suit and going out and dealing with his anger problems. Right. And, and then you get the killing joke. The killing joke was a great story because Alan Moore said, hey, the Joker is a villainous villain. We always see him cracking jokes and being funny and kind of silly, but no, let's not forget the Joker will straight up kill kids in front of their parents. The right. Joker is a bad, bad guy. Right. So he makes the Joker do the worst things in the world. Also, the Joker has no origin story, so he made one. <laughs> he made one that everybody liked and fit with the very, very old, obscure comics where Batman actually did kill people uh, and put it together in this beautiful package that's lots and lots of fun. And at the very, very end, the very final panel of the comic, the second to last panel, Joker and Batman are just laughing. And in the last panel, the streetlight goes out and the Joker stops laughing very abruptly. The last panel, he kills Joker. And that's supposed to be a very, very fun, out-of-context story to remind you, A, here's a possible origin story for the character you don't actually have the origin of. Right. B, don't forget, he is a bad guy. Let me write him doing the baddest possible things that I can think of. C, this is what it actually looks like when Batman kills him. So you're talking about a very subtle balance of juggling act there. So what you're saying is... In Alan Moore's mind, hypothetically, yeah. theoretically, and there's a lot written on it. I'm sure you, you, you've looked into all of it, but but and read it a lot and really thought about it. So the idea there, if I'm what I, if I'm understanding you correctly, is all of the the plot stuff that happens in the book is not canon. It was never intended to be canon. It's intended to be one shot or whatever you want to call it, exactly. side stuff. However, the messages, the point that it makes. Is was intentionally supposed to have an impact on readers going forward. So, uh, as far as the Joker's character, and he's a very bad guy. So maybe his actions in that book shouldn't be canon. But this, but but that Alan Moore had an intention on another track to to show us how bad the Joker really is. Yeah, maybe. And well, there's uh, what's up, Kevin? Oh no! So Alan Moore did not want it to be canon. Like sure. Frank Miller did continue Dark Knight because he made the awful Dark Knight Strikes Again, which oh, I hate you, what makes you it know. so bad? It's, you it's know just, he posted uh, it. Like, like, straight yeah, up, uh, that's if you look at the artwork. Uh, Frank Miller's not a great artist. Right. He works really hard at it, and when you read his Sin City books, you see a guy who knows his limitations and writes accordingly. But if you look at the art for the Dark Knight, what is it called again? Strikes Again. Ah! Dark Knight Strikes Again. Yeah. Yes. Um, just you're watching the man phone it in. He's yeah. like, I need to cash a check, and he's phoning in. The story is terrible. There's like a a Batman creates like the street gang that yeah. his previous Robin, who wears a leopard suit with roller skates, yeah, is a charge yeah. of. And the plot is terrible. You see Two Face again, but it's an awful version of Two Face. Uh, it's it's not good. Okay, and that's the thing is Hollywood has capitalized on the popularity of Dark Knight Returns and made it into a canon, particularly in the DCEU. And I, I agree. I don't like the... Th- I mean, because it works really well as a hypothetical story, as an experimental thing. Yeah. That, um, and, but, like, 
even with influence from it, which is okay. That's the thing is making it into this totally canonical story. There's a difference between yeah. uh, fairy tales and mythic tales. Mm-hmm. And fairy tales were uh, like it's it's funny because like so many fairy tales we think of as kid stuff now, mm-hmm. like the Puss in Boots story. It mm-hmm. wasn't kid stuff when it was invented. Fairy tales were weird subversive stories sure. that court jesters would tell to nobility, uh, and it, they're just funny and weird and made to just kind of poke in a very safe way. Whereas myth was like, no, this is where religion is. This is where morality is. This is this is where we learn things about ourselves. So Batman is a mythic, like almost every superhero, is a mythic character where we have something to learn and a, and a way to grow uh, in terms of our humanity. And then you get the Dark Knight Returns and the Killing Joke. Those are fairy tales. Those are just, hey, isn't this some weird subversive thing? Boop, boop, boop. Because, like, uh, when Puss in Boots came out, for those of you who don't know, it's the story of how a commoner becomes a lord and then a king. Hooray! Using a talking cat and an ogre. Um, That story is hugely subversive. A regular guy can just trick people and become a king. That's insane. If it wasn't a silly story with a talking cat, that's blasphemy. Kings are kings because God wanted it that way. Right, right. So, mythical stories about gods and kings and whatnot are important because that's where the morality of that society comes from. Right. And fairy tales exist to be counter to that morality in a safe way that's fun and kind of scandalizing mm-hmm. in, in a completely safe way. So It'll be interesting, yeah. I, just to segue off this a little bit, it'll be interesting when we do talk about your Purgatory Pub series, um, you know, to, to you know, considering that it, it does tackle religion and... Uh, you know, characters that stand for something and, 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 and what they represent versus who they are. It'll be interesting to talk about all that stuff when we get to uh, that. Yeah. Um, anyway, though, I didn't mean to interrupt. So, yeah, anyway, Killing Joke, Dark Knight Returns, done. Sick, <laughs> sick of their well, what impact. triggered this? Is it, is, it, is it part three? Is it Master Race? Is that what did it to you? No, it's just uh, going to so many Comic-Cons and this subculture exploding in the wild and unpredictable way that it has... There's, uh, for lack of better, for lack of better term, there's a lot of neophytes in geek culture. A lot of people who are just brand oh, sure, new. Sure. And uh, it was me eight years ago. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot of the old guard is like, here's Dark Knight Returns. Here's the Killing Joke. You got to read these. Right. And the fact they're that those seminal. are yeah, the fact that those are now canon, and so many people who are just discovering this entire world, this subculture, this mythical structure. Or these multiple yeah, mythical structures keep coming up to me and talking comics. On the other, and I can understand how that would happen. Yeah. And on the other hand, however, shouldn't people be handed the best that the art form has to offer? So you are, your yeah. argument is with the canon, not with the quality of the goods. That's correct. the 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 fact that it's canon now is what kills me because we had a mythical character who is, frankly, a, a, an incredible modern retelling of Jesus. It's a Jesus who kicks ass. That's that's incredible. Because uh, every modern retelling of Jesus, up to uh, except for Batman, has been real people. It's been Gandhi. It's been Dr. King. Uh, so, like, here's here's a mythical character, which makes it uh, safer and easier to explore. And then you've get these out of canon fairy tales that just kind of ruin this wonderful. F- and it it's also it's, it's the such song. a complex thing though to try to get a grasp on it you're not wrong I mean, it's think, the song think about, think about like the all the modern runs and all the different ways they've yeah. gone and the new 52 versus the pre-52 well that's the trick that's the thing though because those are the ones that when a movie comes out you can put the killing joke and you can put year one and you can put um, the Dark Knight Returns in a single oh here just read this because mm-hmm. it's self-contained and I mean 
it's hard when Scott Snyder writes great Batman, but it's a ten volume series. Yep. Yeah, and Batman began in the '30s, so you're not going to say here's some golden age. Yeah. The the real real problem uh, is that I'm just I'm I'm an esthete. It's the it's it's the classic song that you've heard a million times now, and you're sick of this song now. Yeah. Like uh, uh yeah. <laughs> my favorite rock band is Rush, and everybody loves the Moving Pictures album. That was the seminal right, album, right. and there's lots of keyboards on it. And uh, it's a three-piece band, and the guitarist just can't stand how many keyboards they ended up using. Lifeson. Yeah, Lifeson. He, uh, highly underrated guitarist. Um, so after moving pictures, they started... the Victor Project? Just curiosity. Uh, no, no. It's yet. his solo stuff that he did. It was really good. Anyway, I can't, I, I'm, I'm into it. I'm going to listen to it. Um... And so, like, the, I, I talked to somebody about Rush. They're like, oh, yeah, I love moving pictures. Right. It's like, of course you love moving pictures. Right. You know, there's more. Right. There's, a lot of people are really pissed about... Uh, it's a great album. It's Genesis, wonderful. Because they're like, I love We Can't Dance. And everyone's like, no, they used to be, a, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. It's... it's this, those, two, those two books are the song that I've heard a billion times, and they have gone on to define... The a entire character that you love for mythos. entirely different reasons yeah. in a lot of ways. Understood. Yeah, so I'm just Understood. kind of not tired. Well, let's go. Well, this is good. We start with the topical, like, what's, what's, what's getting Gabe? One more question. Is there, are there Batman works you think should be in that slot, or is there stuff you would like people right, to I'm read? Gonna, I'm going to give you some blasphemy. Uh-oh. I'm, I'm going to uh, give you uh, some uh, blasphemy. Because I thought we were already there. Let's do it. <laughs> if you like Batman and you want to get into, like, just deep, deep into the, the great figure that is Batman, don't read any of the comics. Watch the original animated series before the character redesigns. Watch the Bruce Tim original series. That's the best. That is a blasphemy. I would not at dispute all. that. No, I'm that's not that's the best Batman there is. Yeah. All right, my favorite part about that Batman is like, uh, dude's a regular guy. Bruce Wayne has mm-hmm. a full slot of charitable works to do every day, uh, and so like the Bruce Wayne aspect is very very prevalent. The very first time you see Catwoman, he catches her on a rooftop. He's got her by the ankle or something. She does a spinny kick, smacks him in the face, and then jumps three rooftops away. And Batman tilts his head to the side and goes, and then chases after her. That's awesome. Just takes a moment to be human. The very first time you see Bane, Batman sees his car is smashed. And he says, this was done by human hands. Cut to commercial. You get back from the commercial. You see bat legs underneath the car. You hear a wrench going. Alfred comes downstairs and says, burning the midnight oil again. Batman rolls out and says, he trashed my car, Alfred. It's personal. Ah. <laughs> and he goes back under. That's awesome. Right. Like, Batman is funny. Right. And they have other episodes where, like, there's this one Poison Ivy episode where he finds a secret lair and he hears a yeah. little little voice say, Mama, and he looks around and he sees this plant seed pod open up oh. and there's a green baby inside. And Batman freaks out and just... No, and drops his flashlight, and you feel this humanity freaking out. This is insane. The thing that did that for me from that series was the uh, the uh, what is it? Uh, Clayface episodes, Feet mm-hmm. of Clay. Those yeah. are my favorite three, ep- two or three episodes. Absolutely. I think those are an absolute masterpiece about this actor who loses his identity. It's yeah. one of the reasons I love the Doctor Strange movie that was out recently. Is it's all about somebody who loses their reason to exist and, and, and brings it back. I mean, it just had a lot of depth to it. A lot the, of that The Mr. Did. Freeze episode the same way. Right. The episode where he meets Scarecrow and yeah. he infuses him with visions of his father saying, um, you failed me, son. Like, all that. Because yeah. that points to exactly what you were just talking about, how, you know, Batman is not a vengeance-seeking, you know, like, guy <laughs> with, you know, issues because his parents... It's 
that he wants to honor his parents still yeah. with because he's still here and he wants to bring justice to evildoers uh, but that is a perfect moment that gets into his psychology and does it's interesting. it so well the, the, the although mr. not freeze surprising episode. i'm sorry go ahead. the mr freeze episode he spends the whole episode trying to stop mr freeze he mm. finds out how mr freeze became who he was and mr freeze freezes the the guy who who wronged him batman comes in saves the day mr freeze is stopped but the other guy, the rich guy who who wronged Doctor Freeze, is still stuck in ice, and Batman leaves him there. Brings a TV in and puts a VHS security tape into the TV and shows that guy all of his rich friends exactly who he is. So he says, "What are you doing?" He says, "This is justice." He puts the tape in and he leaves. It's like Freeze broke the law and was trying to kill a guy, and that's not okay. So he goes to jail. Mm-hmm. But this guy over here is a villain. He may be a legal villain, but he is a bad guy, and all of you are going to see. Mm-hmm. And something that bothers me is like, oh, Batman thinks he can solve all the problems with his fists. In the animated series, no, no. yeah, in the animated series, he the- barely he barely does that. Like he'll beat up some goons who are in his way, but almost every time he's dealing it's with wits. the villain. Yeah. yeah, like the way he beat Mister Freeze is he had a jar of chicken soup, a thermos of chicken soup, and he broke it uh, on Mister Freeze's uh, what what he the helmet he was Dome. wearing. Yeah, his yeah. glass dome <laughs> broke it open, and so now Zero like Soup is on this guy who can't stand uh, right. above zero temperatures. Right. Like, it's almost always watching Batman outwit everybody. That's... Right. Do you remember the Almost Got Him episode? Yes, so that, that was one, the best Oh my episode. gosh. Okay, so that in that the one, coolest. that one, oh my gosh, thank you, because I could think Holy about shit. this all day, but in that one, yeah, he's ahead of the game the whole time, because that entire episode is the villains telling stories of how they almost got Batman yeah, and while they're playing poker while they're playing poker and at the end and they tell their sto- they tell their stories like Two-Face, Joker, Penguin, they all tell their stories and then at the end you find out that Batman is sitting at the table the whole time in disguise and he has the whole police force with them because they got them all to confess and they stop him. Yeah, it's just so like, the animated yeah. series is watching this guy put himself in harm's way to outwit bad guys yep. and put them in jail. Right. So uh, yeah. and, and, and on, on top of that, it's just it it's, it tells these two and three episode little mini arcs. Yeah, they're brilliant. I mean, it's 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 a great show. I think that's definitely true. Joker uh, is a, a bad one. guy right. who points an actual gun at actual kids, but he's also funny. Right, like uh, when the, the writers said, like, that, like criminals are in real life. Oftentimes, they still have, <laughs> no, they still have personalities. They're uh-huh. still human beings. I'm not saying that there's, there's, you know, that any of that's redeeming. Yeah. But I'm just saying that you know you don't usually get a monster that that thinks they're a monster and is totally stone faced. Maybe there are a few, but yeah. generally speaking, you you know you get people that are three dimensional. And know. also, like as much as I love the Christopher Nolan films. The only bad thing about it is so like I remember like when I saw Dark Knight, I saw it with a bunch of friends from church who were like non comic friends there. And but because it was so popular, people came out of that. And I mean, you're great, but people came out of there and basically tried to pose as Batman experts. And they said they knew ever, you know, and like we're just like, oh my gosh, that's the best movie ever. And I'm like, no, but you're you, you don't get it though. You don't you haven't like watched the animated series religion. <laughs> oh, this is a you're really posers. good place. This yeah. Is a, yeah, let's just cut off because you get a little but, snob. But there. I, I don't know. But I but I like going on around. Oh, I am I am a lot snob. We have <laughs> we have only just begun. All right, all right. Well, I love that a, movie. That's right. a, that's a good place to uh, to 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 kill the 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 Batman combo. But yeah. man, Batman is one of those topics, right? You can yeah. talk about forever. Oh, gosh, There's yeah. so much. There's such a depth of of stuff. Anyway, you seem like you have somewhere to go, Jordan. Take us there. 
Okay. <laughs> I, well, I see you grabbing for your well, notebook. No, I, I just... I Jordan is the one who's put together uh, ahead. All right, well, as far as... Uh, I guess that was a little bit talking about books, because we did talk about uh, sure. Dark Knight, but Fine. as far as... Uh, usually we do what we've been reading. Sure. So uh, we'll keep, keep it to one or two that, sure. that you've been excited about. Um, Kevin, what have you been reading, man? Yeah. You um, yeah. Go ahead. I've been keeping going through... Venditti's Exo Manowar run because there's a new oh, Exo Manowar. Yeah. yeah, there's a new Exo Manowar coming book coming up, um, and I'm trying to catch up on Venditti's run first. It's so. a pretty big run, right? Yeah, it's I mean it's twelve volumes. I'm on like five or something like that. Um, and so that's Magnum Opus-ish. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, there. I mean, um, Matt Kind has a new one coming. I think it just came out. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I really love Venditti. I got to interview him last year. Um, I just like I think we you, you and I were talking about it. He's like he really is like Mark Wade in so many ways. Just his style, yes. Um, how he writes, like, well, he, he's one of those mythic characters. Every, yeah, and every time you read it, I I, I just I am overcome by the deftness of his of his work. Like yeah. he's just such a good writer. You know, similar also to like a um, uh, Bendis. Yeah, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but Bendis is wordy. Wade and Venditti are really good at being like terse they're they're like they're like comic writers comic writers right you know what right, i mean they're right. they're like they just everything they do is pretty good to great and then some of it's like oh my god i can't believe this yeah like if you read that daredevil run every word oh, on gosh. every page it's not like i'm like oh my god i just got bowled over with brilliance it's like i'm having a great time reading mm-hmm. this book well Man. at least to wade i feel like he's very good at knowing who his artist is and writing yes, to yes. very Absolutely. true um, very, very and getting true. out of their way Absolutely. Very true, but yeah, Venditti is yeah. is is like the up and coming Wade because Wade's getting there in the right. years, man. Right. Um, so yeah, still going through that. Um, I put up on the site. I've started going through. So um, speaking of Daredevil, the new Running with the Devil event is going on right now. Oh, which is, is it? Like, um, it's pretty cool. It's like um, they've given um, Kingpin, Elektra, and Bullseye their like five issue miniseries which i'm usually skeptical about those because i'm like eh, villains uh, supporting character spinoffs like you never know how those are gonna go right but i've been uh, so bullseye and kingpin have come out so far i loved bullseye number one nice. i got up on the site um it was just so bullseye's he, been he pulls out. off his mask and it's colin farrell yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> exactly um he's been sort of like he was thought dead for a while but then you know, of course, through the magic of comic book world, the hand revives him and he comes back and all that. But um, what that book does a really great job, just in that debut issue, is making him so unapologetically evil. And just like, I mean, there's a scene where he's um, like flicking paper clips from the top of the building just to like mess with and kill pedestrians at the bottom of the street. Um, like, and. Um, but yeah, he's out on a mission, um, and that one is just, like, it's got the very, like, Miller Klaus Jensen vibe to it, the old school noir stuff. Um, Kingpin is also really good, too. I read that this week, um, and yeah, that's... Is that one take, I'm just wondering as an overall tone, does that one go, like, hella evil He's, like, you know, trying to turn over a new leaf and all that. Okay. It's from the I was wondering, I was thinking they couldn't all be this, like, impenetrable wall of evil. It's from the perspective of a reporter who's desperate for work, and Kingpin hires her to write about him, and, um, because he's back in New York, but he's supposedly trying to turn over a new leaf. Rejuve his image. Right. And so, but it blurs the line as to whether or not that's a true narrative or not. Um, Is the Kingpin still blind? No. No. He is, but, yeah, he is yeah. not blind. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Retcon. You gotta yeah. love all that retcon stuff, but yeah. 
That's why it's tough. I mean, I'm not trying to start it again, but like that's why it's tough to even look at the Batman stuff and try to make some sense of it. No, it's it's yeah, just it's you, not. It's it's there's you just so gotta much. go with what you find and go with it. Like that's yeah. why yeah. I I didn't love the new Fifty Two rebooting everything sure. clean, but a lot of people liked it and got sure. into comics through that, so I can't fault them. And, and certainly, mean, and certainly, it was it, it gave you a jumping on point that was really really solid for me. I was all about those first arcs of all those series. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and still reading Paper Girls. I love that one. So, what is that on ten or eleven? Eleven. Just the new start of the new arc. Wow, and you're still on issues in that one. Yes. You must love some Paper Girls. It's good. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's All just right. good. Well, because I don't know where that story's gonna go. You know, I mean, um, originally it felt like a mini series, but then as it's an ongoing, it's there's a lot of different twists and turns, and I just really like those characters and the world building that Vaughn and Cliff Chang have done. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Jordan, what are you uh, reading, man? Uh, a couple different things. Uh, thank you. I've got... Uh, I'm trying to look. So I'm a big... A lot of licensed stuff now that I've had it. Uh, but Star Wars is still really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Marvel Star Wars. I read the fourth volume of, yeah. of the main series, which it's gotten to the point where it's a little more like adventure of the trade yeah. part of the series. Um, and I know they have some more stuff like crossovers planned in the future that they just announced. Sure. Uh, that is in the news section that we'll talk about. Uh, but I read the Star Wars Han Solo miniseries. And did it, you like it? It might be my favorite Star Wars really? comic wow. that's come out. It did a really... Whoa! <laughs> Wait I... a minute. Because I remember hearing about the Vader Down crossover and it being like like God's gift. Well, it's it's the best of the miniseries. Okay. And I okay. would read an that's... ongoing of it. Marjorie Liu writes it. She writes a great Han Solo and Chewbacca. Um, and it's basically, the premise is just, he is doing a mission for the for the re- rebellion and you know he's as usual doesn't really want to do itself but it's this big legendary race um across the universe that he you know people die in and he's always wanted to do and mm-hmm. he's like sure screw it i'll do that uh, and it's just this race that takes place over the whole miniseries uh with like death traps and imperial showing up and mm-hmm. it's a real fun time wait uh, the entire time he's in his ship uh, well, I mean, he, they, like, land on planets at points, but... Okay. Like, for okay. refueling. It okay. is mostly takes place on the Falcon, though. Oh, wow. Um, okay, that's a tough That's a tough thing to pull off effectively. Um, one Basically, one backdrop. Yeah, no, but it does a good job of establishing that Marjorie Lou, Marjorie, eh, Marjorie Lou really knows how to write Han Solo, and she does a good job of, like, establishing the other pilots as strong individual characters that I wouldn't mind seeing again down the road. Uh, Mark Brooks is also fantastic on the art, like... I remember when Cassidy was starting, mm-hmm. he started the main series and did a real good job capturing sure. likenesses. Uh, Mark Brooks does a fantastic job of yeah. drawing everyone like, as they appeared on the screen. Sure. Uh, so I've been reading Star Wars. Um, I love Mark Jolie, though, so I'll check it out. Yeah. The other big thing I've uh, read was um, I finished Buffy Season 8. I oh. finally got through the, oh, the wow. end of that series uh, because I'm a big Buffy fan and I dragged through those comics a bit because that season eight does drag a good bit but it ended strong and i'm excited to read the next uh the biggest thing and i know gabe has at least seen this because there's videographic proof of it on the internet uh is an unlikely refugee oh yeah yeah i just read that yeah by max miller dowdle and morrow dowdle Mm -hmm. and uh it was really good it was so good i was really Uh, impressed like that was it was uh this beautiful succinct very eloquently written yeah I remember. Why don't you tell everybody what it is so they understand? Uh, I know we talked about it a little bit before, but uh, it's basically a story of a Burmese python that was found during the. And now I'm going to forget details, but you're here. The Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, found, the early part of the war. early part of the war was found and kind of taken in by American troops and <laughs> was smuggled back into the United States, where it lived at uh, the North Carolina Museum 
of his art history. No, it's the science museum. Science museum. Live the science museum the rest of its life. Kicking it, chilling. More or Slip less, yeah. They, all right, my favorite part of the book, they would. It's it's this huge, huge constrictor snake, and it cannot stretch out in its enclosure. So they would let it out at night. So they would like during the nighttime cleanup, they would wow. open the cage and let this python out to just squirm around and just take a look That's while awesome. they were cleaning up. That's awesome. Uh, that has not happened to any other animal, and it hasn't happened since. But just that's. An incredible. It part sounds of the story. like that snake like won people's hearts. It and did. How does a snake do that? It became like unofficial mascot for the troop. It was part of. It was yeah. uh, very docile. All things. I mean, like there, there's a really good it's scene also, where it kind it's of also a constrictor, not a poison, right? Right. Yeah. So that's a big factor. Yeah, and it's, like you don't uh, want to poison a snake slithering. That's around. not to say it wasn't a wild animal. There's a really good sequence where it just kind of thrashes out at its handlers, so just good. just to so show good. it can. Because the, the whole thing's written from the snake's perspective, and they kind of get into the head. Of the creature, and I think they do a good job of very artfully done. Yeah, very artfully. Um, and the whole opening, obviously, before George was found, and they they found out after death that it was a female snake. Um, but it, they they kind of just imagine what George's life was like before found by humanity. It's the stunning twist at the end. George is a, is a she. <laughs> it's not. That's not it, that stunning. Not, <laughs> no, but it it does a great job of showing what life in the wild would be like and getting very very just beautifully illustrated like yeah. colors. Um, the the kind of metaphysical cosmic imagery that shows up. Did they write um, and illustrate it together, or how? What yeah. Is he? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Morrow is. Uh, uh, she was at one point in an MFA program for writing. Oh, cool. She has since become a physician's assistant wow. for a psych. She's a psychiatric uh, doctor or physician's assistant. Sorry. Uh, she was also a captain in the Air Force. Wow. Yeah. And Max is a classically trained painter uh, who is uh, from South Carolina, but studied in Florence, Italy. Wow. So they are perhaps the two... The, Legit. They're the, one of the most interesting... <laughs> <laughs> they're one of the most interesting uh, uh, husband and wife teams yeah. that I've ever heard of, let alone met. And let me tell you, these, te- these people, uh, you can... I think that everybody could be summed up somewhat effectively in one word. Uh, their word is warmth. They're just mm-hmm. the warmest, kindest people you'll ever meet in your life. Uh, very, very friendly, and and it's 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 never the the condescending like oh we're talking I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna suck it up and be nice to you this time. No, mm-hmm. no, they're super smart people and they don't yeah. hide that. Yeah, they're just genuinely some of the friendliest people you'll ever meet. Oh yeah, I met Max a couple times. He's awesome. He's a sweetheart. Yeah, if you're if you're in North, the North Carolina area, he's pretty much a regular at the show. Oh, yeah. here. Don't shop, at his table. Shop. Say hi. Buy this book, because it's really good. And if you're lucky enough to meet his wife, she is also just one of the sweetest people in the world. She's she's fantastic. Uh, and she did... They, they both worked very... How do I put this? Like uh, like in the Scott McCloud making comics book, the uh-huh. the essence of what makes comics magical is the dance between words and pictures. Right. And they nailed it. Definitely. They, they killed it in that book. It was great. That's awesome. That's that's what's up. Uh, having a good collaboration is uh, is pretty crucial. Um, so that's awesome. They're in a pretty good position to yeah. have, have learned how to collaborate. Yes. I cannot wait to see what else they do. Yeah. Um, they they did a short story together for an anthology. Yeah, for the speculative relationships. Right. Yeah, and I read that too. That one, uh, uh, the book that we're talking about now, uh, unlike Refugee, was penciled, inked, and colored digitally. But Max is an oil painter, and uh, what he's going to do from now on is oil paint all of his comics. 
So the what was tell me the anthology title again? Uh, speculative relationships. It's like a sci-fi near future romance anthology. Yeah, I think so they're working on the third one. That but. one he painted black and white in oil paints, and it's it's marvelous. Also, uh, the two lead romantic characters look suspiciously Uh-oh. like Max and Mara. Uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up. That's what's up. That's cool. I know that was a long time in the in the. Uh, in the coming that that project it was working on it for yeah. many years yeah remember hearing about it a couple cons ago um and uh, <laughs> it has materialized that's cool and and if it was possible this is a really geeky thing to talk about but the trade dress on his books oh my god dude he has the prettiest oh looking books he has got the prettiest stinking books the unlikely refugee is like foil is, is spot uv gloss and it's got a satin finish and he's the title letters are debossed oh. into the yeah yeah he he knows how to make a pretty book. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He, I think I, I, the one that's one of the things I asked him about when I saw him most recently, and he was like, "Yeah." So we went up to the people who made our last book, and we were like, "Yeah." So uh, I know that book looked amazing. I want to find a way to make this book look even better. They did um, it. They, 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 yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty amazing. I mean, these he's books setting have... the bar too high for schlubs like me. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not catching up to that. I, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> um. Anyhow. Uh, that is what is that all you've been reading yeah the only other thing i was going to mention and just bring it up because it is comics related is i saw the lego batman movie last did night. you i, I, yes. I, I didn't week. even know that came out yeah just just came it out got this week. stealth man it was stealth like I, it may be everywhere but i haven't seen a ton about it i mean if you i i watch i still watch a lot of kids networks so i saw a lot of commercials it's everywhere yeah. there, yeah. and it was on a lot of youtube There's, ad rolls but cartoon network has done some good stuff recently yeah they've also put out some stinkers but we can't all be winners no uh, but no, Lego Batman was very good. Uh, I, the first, Dan, uh, Dan Slott had tweeted about it and said, like, the first third was as good as the first Lego movie, and the rest was solid. And I kind of agree with that, because, like, the last two-thirds of the movie feels like climax, because it's basically the okay. opening scene, and then there's all the, like, character work, um, and then the Joker enacts his big plot, and it's, you know, usually where the second act is, um, everyone kind of getting along and building up, and then the part where the, you know, the hero has his, you know, the dark moment where no one, no one's friends anymore for sure. a minute. Right. And then the big climax happens. It's like the instigating climax happens in the second act, so it's like the last mm-hmm. half of the movie is all just climax. And it's a lot of really good, impressive looking, because Lego action is that, still fairly new. It sounds like you're describing a Rocky movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit, One yeah. of the good ones. That's one of the Rocky good ones. Four. Uh, but it sounds like I hear a note of... Slight disappointment in your no, voice. I no, I wouldn't say that. I just say it's not as good as the Lego movie, and I don't think that's, that's a bad thing. It's not I an think, indictment. No. Yeah, no, the Lego movie is fantastic. The Lego movie okay. was surprised. I had very low expectations. It's one of those things where it's just like my daughter said she wanted to see it. Okay, fine. I had very low expectations, and man, that well, the movie is the movie's a masterpiece. That movie I mean, was a crazy uh, gut punch. It's of, both a awesome. masterpiece and a really good, like, entertaining animated yeah. movie, and surprisingly quotable. Uh, we like in my household. We still like my daughter asked me to polish her nails. It's like bring me the Polish remover of Nail. <laughs> you sing the "Everything Is Awesome" song in the house all the time. We've got video of. We put that. We go on a drive. My wife, my daughter, and I. We're just going on a drive because that's what we do. Because we're nerds. Yeah. And we put that song on, and we're at a red light, and the whole car is rocking. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Dangerously, and the car next to us, this poor woman, just cocks her head like, "Oh no, something terrible is happening," and she sees this six-year-old little girl cackling like a oh. maniac in her seat, and my wife and I grabbing the bars and shaking the car. It's it, we've had many good times listening to that song. You plan yeah. on seeing the movie? 
Uh, the Batman one? Yeah, I was, like, I, uh, the fact that there was so much Batman in the Lego, the original Lego movie is one of the reasons I thought it would be terrible, but oh man, he was one of the funniest parts of that mm. movie. Yeah, yeah and, and if I you can, like, if you yeah. like that version of Batman, this does a really good job of continuing and deepening the character. Yeah. Will Arnett has put his voice all over creation in the last two, three years. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't go five minutes without hearing that, man. Yeah. I was, I was surprised, because I was thinking about it, and it's like, I know Arrested Development's obviously the big thing that he got famous for, and now it's like, I honestly think of him more as Bojack from exactly. Bojack Horseman Me too. than I, I do think of him as Bojack. Yeah. Interesting. Because I was thinking about it after the fact, when I was reading review, and they were like, oh yeah, and Michael Sarah reunites with Will Arnett from Arrested, and it's like, oh right, that's what he's known for, and it's a weird moment. Uh, but where's, where's Michael Sarah? He uh, he plays Robin. Okay, that dude does not age, and he does not. <laughs> oh my gosh. The poor boy really needs to... Him and Seth Rogen, like, they, like it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Seth Rogen could get away with it because dude can. Yeah, grow but it's a beard. different though. Yeah. So a he can grow a beard, and B he looked like an adult earlier too. Yeah. Like, Michael Sarah yeah. started looking like a child, and he still looks yeah, like a does, child. Yeah. Like yeah. Seth Rogen may not turn into an old man looking dude, but he looks mm-hmm. like a man. Yeah. Like, Michael Sarah, I haven't seen the Scott Pilgrim movie, and I'm not going to. But it's it occurs right. to me like that Scott Pilgrim movie is probably the height. Of what Michael Sarah will ever do yeah. until he can finally age a little bit. <laughs> I don't know how really? he's going to age either. It's going to be weird to see. Uh, my wife has this theory. It's like uh, child actors who who don't age really just end up looking like child Macaulay actors Culkin. who have melted. <laughs> like Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> no, like Ron Howard. Oh, okay. Because Macaulay Culkin looks fucking weird. Well, yeah, the dude's been on heroin since he was like 10. I guess that's true. Yeah, poor Macaulay never had a chance. Like God that. bless that, that poor Yeah, guy. you don't hear much about that, but I, I, it does look that way. Um, um, I'm surprised he's not dead. I'm kind of hoping that he gets clean again and then stays that way. Like pull pull a pull a Will Wheaton, leave town, get a regular job, and let people forget about you, and then you'll forget about you, and then you could just be a regular guy yeah. and decide whether or not you want to come back. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, All right, yeah, no. Overall, I would say, and honestly, Michael Sarah. If not for Will Arnett being so good as Batman, it would almost steal the show because he, he does a really good job. Michael Sarah is good at what he does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just the shtick gets old sometimes. Yeah. And Billy Dee um, Williams is Two-Face, right? He was. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, that, that's, that's cool as hell. Yeah, I know. Because so he it was is, Harvey Dent. And it the, is full Bill, Billy Dent. <laughs> the biggest thing is, like, there's all the villain cameos, and it's like, pretty much there's a, the Joker is the main villain, right, so he right. gets the most screen time. But sure. every time. everyone from Batman lore yeah, is in time. there. Who's the Joker voice? Uh, Zach Galifianakis. Okay, yeah. I'm into that. Yeah, I'm into pretty that. solid. Yeah. I mean, he was. I mean, it's hard when Mark Hamill is... Oh yeah! Another reason why the Batman animated series is the best thing ever is because Mark Hamill. Oh gosh! And that's it. That's that's. I mean, isn't it amazing that he could have two such iconic roles? Uh, Well, thank God the dude found voice acting because, like, as as a young guy who loves Star Wars so much, when I found out he was the Joker, I was like, oh, oh, thank God he found work again. Okay, he did (laughs) that ruin his life. Good, (laughs) good for him. But like Jonathan Frakes, when he was uh, like at the end of season two of Star Trek, he's like, I'm never acting again. Nobody's ever going to cast me. I need to cash this check. Because he's so iconic? Huh? Yeah, because he knew he was not going to be cast for anything else after Star Trek Next Generation. That sounds a little like a self-fulfilling prophecy, man. No, he could have done it. I don't no? think he could Why could've. not? I don't think he could have. What is it? That, why is that I mean, role that what's iconic? Your, what's yeah. your goal? Because, I mean, a lot of Star Trek actors get jobs on Star Trek-like shows, but... Uh, Jonathan Frakes, like, while behind the scenes, he started becoming a TV director. Uh, and you'll really appreciate this. Some of our best, best episodes. episodes. Like, if you were to name me your favorite episodes of Burn Notice, 
there's a three out of four chance Jonathan Frakes uh, directed those. No. He directed no. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Dude, Burn Notice yeah. Rules. Yeah. Burn Notice <laughs> Rules. He directed a lot of their best episodes. He directed a lot of Deep Space Nine, some Good of my favorite him. episodes. Good for him. So, like, he saw the writing on the wall. He's like, I'm going to just ham as Riker as hard as I can, and when Next Generation is over, I need to be behind the scenes right. to still have work. Right. Interesting. And it's worked out for him. He's one of the... Uh, funniest, most upbeat guys that you'll meet who did Star Trek because he saw the writing on the wall and adjusted accordingly, and he's just fine with that's everything that's up. happened. That's what's up. Uh, he's got, my favorite part about it is um, his nickname on the set is Two Takes Freaks. Oh, really? When people show up and read their script, they're like, oh, Jonathan Frakes is directing today? I'm getting home early. So, because what, what would happen is he would do a scene twice. He's like, okay, good, do it again. Okay, cut, moving on. And the actor would be like, moving on? We only did it twice. It's like, yeah, did you screw up? Did you screw up either time? Oh, well, then we're moving on. Right. So that's just beautiful to hear. He takes breaks. Everybody loves him now. Simplicity. <laughs> uh, He's certainly not like, uh, what's that guy that takes a million takes? Uh, the dude who did seven. Stanley Kubrick? No, no. Uh, Fincher. Fincher, yeah. Fincher, yeah. Fincher Both is notorious, yeah. Um, um, awesome. So that uh, that ends your what you've been reading. Yeah, I would just watching. say it's definitely worth seeing if you like the Lego movie. This is a slightly different tone. Um, it's more superhero focused, but there's a lot of great humor, a lot of the same type of humor if, in the Lego movie. Uh, and I was surprised by how good the Lego Ninjago movie looks because I saw the trailer for that and it seems very much in keeping with the tone of these two films. No, so, so. Ninjago is actually a really good universe. Um, when I was doing some babysitting stuff, strangely working for a CEO and his kid, and it felt like I was working for his kids, um, but uh, I was taking care of his three kids sometimes as part of this very odd job I had, and um, they, the, the oldest boy was obviously the one I bonded with the most, and he was really into Ninjago, and I was watching it with him. Oh my God, Ninjago is sweet. Like, it is just a really, really solid... Have you ever seen it? No, but I know that the movie is a complete, like, new take on it. Okay, that's so fine. That's fine. Be, I mean, regardless, they're great characters. That, are you sure? It's, so it's not going to have even the same four characters? No, or? I think it'll have the same characters, but, like, completely rewritten a new, like... Just, like, a new take on it. Like, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic style... Redo. Wow, but you see, the difference is that was like a ten years in between or whatever. Yeah, know, so. I, I don't know. I mean, this movie is going to be seen by a lot more people. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And the Jago's pretty. Um, anyway, word. Anyway, cool. Um, I'm gonna do mine and then we'll go to yours. Um, so my um mine is real uh real short list. Um, and that is uh, I've been reading the book. Um, the books actually that you guys got me for. Um, my birthday. Um, nice. So I was reading. Um, so I started the Nightwing book, uh, nice. so the new Nightwing series, and it started like right away diving into spoiler territory where I have to finish Grayson. So I was like, <laughs> all right, so like this needs to chill back okay. until I, because the identity of Spiral was like, like probably right there on the first page. So I was like, oh shit, I hope that's not really true. But anyway, you know that dude with the spiral face? Did you ever read Grayson at all? Grayson's I sweet. To, but I will. Grayson's yeah. freaking sweet. But anyway, there's this dude, and it was like one of the most co- compelling things about Grayson is there's this dude who runs like so so the idea of Grayson for people who don't know is he he became like a special agent like he he supposedly died quote unquote um and uh, in the comic book and in like the Nightwing book and then he goes like undercover as a secret agent for this for this group that's probably bad in fact i think it's pretty clear they're bad guys but he doesn't realize that they're called Spiral first book uh and the first trade is called uh Grayson Agent of Spiral and it spirals like an acronym for something that I, that I don't recall. It's a comic book secret agency, I would assume. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, um, there's this dude who's like the head of Spiral, and he's real shadowy and shit. And he wears like a top hat, kind of look, looks like a male, the male question. And he's got like this spiral over his face that like 
I guess it looks like a hologram, and I was like, that's mad intriguing. You know, anything that anything that I don't like know the answer to, or there's going to be a reveal. It sounds like it. a Batman Beyond character. Watch out! Well, if that's spoilery. Oh, oh, I don't know. Okay. No, you didn't go anywhere yet. But if you're going to mention this Batman Beyond character and their identity, it might be that they pulled from that. Okay. Well, uh, for anyone listening at home, watch the Batman Beyond animated oh, yes. series. It was it's great. Also oh, yes. great. Yeah. 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 Anything from the mid '90s to the mid 2000s really yeah. is pretty solid. Yeah. They they it picked up the Bruce Tim flag and started running with it, and they made a, uh-huh. it. It was a fun series. Yeah. And they weren't afraid to do new well, things. And they were able to too because they gave themselves a completely new setting and ability to do that. It's not like what, for example, that Gotham stupid series on TV has done where they basically pigeonholed themselves ridiculously. Like, let's tell the origin story of all these characters. Oh, but wait, we know exactly what happens to all of them and exactly... I mean, it's so, like, hemmed in. So yeah. ridiculously. But now you are describing the reason why I'm never going to watch that series. Oh, God, Just no. like, I, do you see the right... Oh, they're making a series about Gotham City when Batman is still a young kid? Oh, that sounds horrible. Never mind. Pass. Do you realize that something happens on that show where there's a character where they're like... What do they do? They age them up? What happens? No, there's... Yeah, they start... Well, that show's gotten really gonzo, and I still watch it, and it's delightful, but... Because it's so... They've honestly gotten to the point where they just said, F it, and they're... Now it's like, nah... All the villains exist in Batman's just a kid, so no no one now it's Jim Gordon's a bounty hunter chasing oh down. And, and the only way Oh dude, it's worse than you did. It's For those of you listening, Gabe has his hands on his face and yeah. he's just like weeping. But they uh but yes, at the beginning of season three, because they had young child they have young child Selena Kyle and young child uh Pamela Isley, except she's called Ivy Pepper in this, so that people oh, know gosh. she's poison ivy as a kid. <laughs> Uh, and they, at the beginning of season three, she gets attacked oh by a metahuman that ages her into her 20s so that she can be a sexy vixen. Oh, so he, he steals her youth from her so they can age up artificially the character. It's so bad. It's so. And then I was just like, so I got an idea. Why don't they take that same villain, is what I told Jordan when I heard it, take that same villain and like age up Bruce so we can have the Batman show it should have been all along. And, and Jordan's like, yeah, they killed that They killed that guy right, right away. Yeah. <laughs> So they just wanted it was a device. Don't worry, I have never watched one mechanic. episode. Anyway, so you, you, you dropped a Nightwing because you didn't want to. Yeah, yeah. So I was really enjoying it, but I had to stop. And then the other <laughs> one was uh, Detective Comics, which Jordan picked up for me for my birthday, and it was is I'm I'm in the middle of it right now. A phenomenal book. Um, I mean, I think you said it was one of your most anticipated of the new Batman books. Right? Of of the current uh, Batman writers, I like Tinian a lot, and. I like the Batman family characters, and that's what this book is. Batwoman and Spoiler and Cassandra Cain and, I think, Tim Drake? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You know, the thing, about, the thing about it, this, and Clayface. And Clayface the, is a hero. Love Clayface. Um, the thing about the Detective Comics book, and, and, and it, it's been this way, you know, for a while, is that it's, it's much more, like, adventurous and less, like, digging deep into the character. It's much more like, here's an adventure he's mm-hmm. going to have, as opposed to the psychology, you know deep dive that that Snyder's whole run was in a lot of ways you know it was very much like psychological and you know what does this mean and etc etc um and so I gotta let the dog uh, you, you keep talking okay yeah so you know those books were always like you start out the Snyder books and it would be like this city is dark there's darkness in every um rafter um, as I grew, the city grew with me. I mean, just very, um, and it's just very much like using Gotham as an analogy for his psychology, and it just always went very psychological. And what does the Joker symbolize? You know what I mean. The oh, Snyder yeah, run yeah. Is, is very much like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, whereas this book is just fun, swashbuckling adventure. Some shit goes down. 
Um, heroes get together. It's a really nice team. So it's just a really fun, believe it or not, Batman book. Um, that's uh, that's enjoyable. So anyway, those are the books I've been reading lately. Um, and you know, as a, as a side note on that, when you're talking about Grayson, so Tom King was the writer on that, oh. and he's writing Batman now. And the thing about all the special agent stuff, you know he was a CIA agent. I do know yeah. that. I met so him, he, yeah. and he's amazing. Oh, and yeah. we met him, and he's so unassuming, much like a secret agent might be. Yeah. And he's <laughs> just this dude. Just, he's just a dude. He's, he's just, just a dude. He's a you dude, see him, and it's just like, hey, what's so up? he's so prolific, and he has so much experience. He's so talented. And I think you, the day that you just like got blown over onto the floor was when you read The Vision. Oh, gosh. I mean, ever since then, you, you, Tom King has been synonymous with excellence in your mind, I oh, believe. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Um, awesome. So, Gabe, take yeah. us home. Uh, I I've got terrible reading habits. I just kind of uh, troll around what what does the local bookstores have in their graphic novel section That's and legit. try to find some self contained uh, material. That's how I buy a lot. So that you can put yes. all of your money into funding your projects, right? Mostly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what and I raising your child. I haven't read yet, but I'm going to very soon. Is Jordan Alsaka's book? <laughs> I just got my copy. I've I'm so excited to read this. Have you never even read it? You didn't read the PDF. You no, waited. no, no. Can I I'm point waiting. out? No one I know personally read the PDF. So <laughs> I was like, how would everyone think? Like nobody. I I wanted the paper copy in my. That's hands. what I. Yeah, I understand but, that. I don't read PDFs. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Have we even talked about it on the podcast that the, the hard copy book came out? No, I don't. It, no, I don't. Well, the hard cover came out. Buy it. It is beautiful. Uh, it is gorgeous. Is it still in previews? Uh, I don't know if it is in current anymore. But I mean, it's it's on their site. Well, it is ask horrible. your retailer. Yeah, Terminal Protocol. Find it. Yo. It's awesome. No, no, it's no. potentially in, in a store. It actually had pretty good pre-orders, so you might That's see awesome. it at your local shop. It came out this past Wednesday as of recording. I had a very nice... Now, is it a one-shot? It is a one-shot. It's a one-shot. Do you know how amazing that yeah. is? Get it. Five bucks. Like, that's all you gotta do. You could buy one issue of the Scott Snyder After Death series or the entire Terminal (laughs) Protocol. Yeah. So, I just read Unlikely Refugee because I got my uh, my copy from Max. It was uh, brilliant. Thanks for talking about that, Jordan. Mm -hmm. I've just got Jordan's book. I'm gonna be reading that at home. I'm rereading. I just got back my uh, all my copies of Black Sad, so I'm rereading those. Oh! Do you have those beautiful hardcovers? Yes, I do. Oh, they're so gorgeous. I've got the Dark Horse hardcovers. Oh, that series is so cool. They're beautiful. I got to, oh, would you believe this? Uh, The artist, his name is Juanio uh, Guardino, I think. I'm not sure. I think you're exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. Anyway, uh, he was at so. Heroes Con year before last, and I'm splitting a table with, with a, a comic writer friend of mine. We're both self-publishers. And he says, you know, I'm going to go to that panel. You want to come with me? No, one of us should stay with the table. And just for context, we're off in the wings. Nobody's coming near us. Nobody's buying any of our stuff. It was no, one of those somebody, somebody should stay at the table in case somebody wants to buy something. He says, oh, okay. And then five minutes before the panel, I thank God, I changed my mind. I'm like, no, I've, I've got to go. This guy lives in France. When am I going to ever it's get this so chance so unlikely. Again? Which con was it? Uh, Heroes oh. Con. Oh, wow, I didn't know he was there. Uh, not this past one, but the one before. And uh, I got I got uh, super lucky. He was there. He did a panel, a tiny little room. So I got as close to him as I am to you right now. And we just got to listen to that guy talk about making comics. Was he? Was there an interpreter or is he speaking English? No, his English is great. He used to work at Disney. 
Wow. Uh, so just for, for context and to make everybody in this room feel like a turd, this guy was born in Spain. Uh, he works in Paris and he speaks at least three languages perfectly. Wow. Yeah. Don't we say Over, like, overachievers. Yeah. My, my mom is Argentine. My Spanish should be great. My Spanish is crap. I'm, I'm, I'm half Middle East from my Arabic shit. Yeah. I got nothing. We are just <laughs> ridiculous Americans. I know how to ask for food. Wow. Yeah, me too. Cause the one time I visited Argentina, any. everybody's just offering me food all i have to say is yes more meat please no. that's, that's i also it. know the curse words but that's any foreign language that yeah. you kind of partially know uh one of my early metal bands we just looked through gaelic curse words to find our band name nice uh <laughs> so strange, yeah that came guy. up with rollins band it was weird <laughs> uh what else am i reading uh no, this what? past year octopus pie uh started come image started putting out their printed versions of octopus pie i've been waiting for for uh, uh, consecutive printed proper editions of this book since she started her webcomic and I want to say like 07 or something. It's been a while. It's been a while and they're great. They're great. Like honestly, I've been reading the webcomic since it began and it's a great webcomic but if you can read the printed pages that's where it belongs because um, I remember thinking wow this comic is good but I sit down and I can just read a book a day and how good and how well it's paced comes crashing down on you it's like oh this is incredible this this uh writer this comic creator meredith grand just rocketed into my top four all-time favorite graphic oh, novels wow it's yeah. a fantastic i actually got what the is this third and fourth ones at the some con a few months yeah. ago octopus pie All right, but i read through out. the archive like about a year and a half ago and was just it's so good. If you can read the book, it's it's for some reason it comes together better that way. It's interesting. Um, <coughs> you when you find brilliance in a in an underlooked place, it's really it's an odd sensation in a really yeah. good way. When you see like you're, when you read something, you're like, wow. In order for this to be this good, this person must have spent so much time thinking about this. This person, I don't know if this is the case for this. Oh yeah, but no, you're this right. This person must have poured over this. It's such a labor of love, such a such a passion project. And and the reason that 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 moves me so much is because when you're in a dark corner, like you said, like you're off in a wing at the con, yeah. you feel like there's very. I don't know if the, I shouldn't speak for you, but if I were in that corner and I didn't see a lot of people coming by, and I just sort of felt like there wasn't many eyes on me. It would be so much, it takes so much more passion, so much more intensity to pour your heart into something when, when you know, when you don't know there's going to be somebody reading it. Yeah, it's, you know? it's like shouting into a giant room and not hearing any echo back. Yes, yes. It's like all the great bands, even like punk rock little bands that, that perform, like they always say, well, at least we have this energy from the audience coming back at us. Yeah. You know, even if it's a small room, but like a writer, oh my God. It's lonely, it's desolate, and yeah. you've got, like you said, you got nothing coming back at you. So to, to think about putting that kind of passion, like if I, it's like me sitting down to think about writing a novel. That undertaking that would be, it's like a two years alone in a room with nobody telling you you're anything. And no way to know if what you're writing is good. And for somebody to be inspired in that kind of environment, it's it's a revelation. And when you find that, it's like, damn, I want to take this person and proselytize. I want to like scream it to the wings like this is an amazing book that somebody really put a lot of thought into. Yeah. So, so read more web comics, man. Yeah. That's passion yeah. project is the name you know, of the oh, game yeah. on yeah. the web. Well, a lot of times, so so a lot of, but that's yeah. the thing, that the thing that makes them even more impressive when they're great is there is some also not great stuff that you'll read out there. Oh, that, yeah. You, you, you've got to wade through uh, 10 feet of garbage before you find anything right. worthwhile. Right, right. And so that's the thing, you know, it's kind yeah. of like the app store. 
Uh, it's a different. I, well, for me, web just no, go on. web comics for me is so interesting because you you just you get more connected because you're reading even if it's the same amount of pages you're reading them over like six months. Yeah, and they just live in your head, and then you know, multiplex is one of my favorite web comics, and it's ending in a few weeks. Oh wow, that's been going on for yeah, ages. Yeah, so much. I done. started I started reading that back in '06 when I was working at a help desk, like. Uh, there's there was a time where web comics kept me going because mm-hmm. I'm at a help desk I've got nothing going on and all I could do is just search and just kill giant yeah. swaths of yeah. web comic yeah. archive uh, that's where uh, I discovered Lackadaisy that's where I discovered um, this other creator from Minneapolis I forget his name I'll look him up later I'm sorry yeah, yeah. I'll proselytize him later uh, but uh, also one of my favorites um, one of my great heroes of comics her name is Jessica Abel. Uh, she just came out with uh, a graphic album, which for, for those of you who also uh, wear scarves in the summer and have thick rim glasses and enjoy an IPA, <laughs> uh, that's what they call comics in uh, France, uh, where they where their uh, art style is called mm-hmm. Bon Dessinée. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's, it's slightly wider format, it's a hardcover book. She and her husband... Uh, have a residency at uh, a university in France. Nice. So that's why she came out with with a French-style graphic album called Trish Trash about a uh, roller derby girl from Mars. Uh, it just dropped here in America a little while ago. Uh, it just It is, of course, in English. Jessica herself is from Chicago. Oh, speaking of uh, underachieving American douchebags, this woman, she and her husband, uh, met and married in Chicago and then moved to Mexico City and just learned Spanish. And then lived in Brooklyn for a while, and then moved to France and just learned French. Wow. Yeah, so aren't we just some freaking morons, whereas her and her husband are just kicking butt and taking names. (laughs) And now their kids can speak fluent in three different languages. Yeah, but... But did she fill out the entire Pokedex in uh, Pokemon <laughs> Sun and Moon? Because I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that's not on her resume site, but we don't know. It's possible. Anyway, her it's comic, possible she's done even that. I haven't read it yet, but it's on my to-buy list. It's uh, Trish Trash. It's in Barnes & Noble. Check it oh, out. Nice. Barnes & Noble like, has some eclectic stuff sometimes. I like roller derby comics, which is a weird thing to have enough it's of a to thing. say. It's no, a it thing. is, but uh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Bonnie and Collide by... Monica Gallagher? That's another webcomic. Yeah, Monica Gallagher. There's a lot of, like, roller derby took off in a big bad way in the past ten years, and let me tell you, you will have just the, you will hear the coolest names for anyone in the world if you listen to roller derby names. Trish Trash, I mean. Uh, Lady Smackbeth. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Minerva McGonagall. That's good. Uh, there's this there's this one ro- roller derby girl here in Raleigh, uh, her last name is Slipsky, and, uh, her name was Pink Slip. That's awesome. So yeah, like I'm gonna fire you, mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, just throwing that out there. If you get a chance to see roller derby live, do it. Awesome. If awesome. I ever find enough drummers and I have enough time, I will make a small drum line to go and cheer on the Carolina Roller Girls. Word. <laughs> yes. Word. All right. Um, does that conclude your uh, what you've been reading? I have been talking for an hour and saying nothing. So yeah, I would say nothing. I wouldn't say that. One book you would really like, Gabe. I think is um. So one of my favorite short stories is Neil Gaiman's How to Talk to Girls at Parties. And Dark Horse adapted it into a graphic novel last year. It's on my shelf there, but oh, that's um, cool. it's a um, it's set in England in like the seventies, and these two guys go to a party, and the girls are like these 
foreign um, ones that are a bit, but they turn out to be aliens. And so it's just this crazy, like, little bit of satire, but I think you would really like the art there. It's okay. Fine Moon, right? Yep, that is. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking. Oh, Fabio Moon and yep. Gabriel Bob. Yep. Can somebody say Day Tripper? Have you read that? I haven't read Day Tripper, but, like, uh, these these brothers, uh, for you listening, Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba are twin brothers from Brazil, and I, I found, uh, like, just a diamond hidden in my local comic shop back in Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, they're self-published stuff, where it's just an anthology of the stories that they would make. The The art is incredible. This book yeah. looks great. I'm absolutely going to find this and read it. Yeah, this is great, it's not Barnes & Noble. Think, that's yeah. a great suggestion. And it's an ultimate, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I've been a fan of those guys forever. Yeah. And and back to what you were talking about earlier, just like being the writer, writing silently and yeah. hoping somebody reads it. I, and for any, any creators who may be listening to this, look, you don't know what kind of impact you'll have, yeah. all right? Because when I discovered Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba, it was this tiny book buried underneath a bunch of back issues, and it had been there for five years before I found mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge revelation when I did. And... I mean, it was it was five years after they had made the book, and I was discovering it for right. the first time. Right. You don't know the impact that you can have. You got to make your stuff, yep. put it out, and then hope, hope, and have faith that maybe someday it will. And also, if it affects one person the way that affected you, you've kind of won. I mean, uh, maybe. that's winning at life. No, it is in a way. I don't know, man. If I make my thing and I'm still starving, I wouldn't say that I'm winning at life. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. I, I hear you. I mean, that's that's another perspective, but I, I got you. Word. All right. Um, I heard that I kind of plagiarized that from Dead Mouse. Um, he, I, no, 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 hold on, hold on. This is funny. This is funny. So um, it was Dead Mouse. I didn't mean to. Uh, uh, yeah. So Dead Mouse um, is obviously like this DJ dude, and he wears like the Mickey, not a Mickey Mouse, but it's like this mouse with like the, it's like a helmet. And so I don't know if you guys have been on YouTube lately and seen, yeah. but there's yeah. master classes always advertised now and so yes. dead mouse has a digital music production master class <laughs> and he's on there and like the dude is like he goes his advice is all like it sounds so like unenthusiastic the way he tells it he goes uh if you're nervous about getting on stage and and you're like worried about people looking at you take advice from me put on a big fucking helmet like that's yeah. that kind of advice you know what i mean cuz then nobody can see your face but he had one in there that he was like um uh, when you put something out there, it could even affect, if it even affects just one person, that's amazing. But there's one way that you're damn sure it's not going to ever happen for you, and that is if you don't start now. Yeah. Or something like that. And I was just like, damn, dude. So anyway, I, but but at, from all of the this really shitty minute and a half long masterclass course, which I've seen a lot, one thing that resonated with me was what he was saying, you better start now if you want even one person to be touched by your work. Yeah. So if anyway. That, if that masterclass was a documentary, I'd watch it, but I'm not paying for that masterclass. No, no. <laughs> I'd pay to see that documentary because I'm curious to hear what this guy's got to say. Yeah. Because I've been listening to him for ages. Oh, okay. But I'm not paying for that master. <laughs> it's it, it's it, like they're five hundred dollars. I want to do the Sorkin one, but I don't have five hundred dollars to blow that guy. I mean, just <laughs> I would say just start writing and and just do it because it's two yeah. years. Honestly, today was surprising because Facebook has the memory feature. And the memory today was two years ago. It was like, hey, I started looking for an artist for my sh- <laughs> for my for my story. That's awesome. If you know anybody, and I shared a link to like a digital wedding. So it took about two years. Posting. Yeah, it's been about it's been two years since I really started looking, and it's like and now it book. exists, and now I've got one in my hands, and it's yeah. the best thing ever. It's <laughs> Uh 
Um, news. News. All right, we got a few few quick things. I don't know how much we'll have to say on any of it, but uh, the Batman movie. When is that ever true? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> the Batman movie has a new director, apparently. They said that the... It's the Matt War, Reeves, right? Wait, war, yeah, Matt Reeves. Was that War of the Planet of the Apes? I haven't really watched the, the modern... The most planet, recent. The most recent Apes. one, yeah. He spends on that. On our last episode, the um, January month one, we talked about when Ben Affleck left. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, he was on the short list of directors, so he's on there right now. Whether he'll stay on there or not is, you know, I mean... We'll see, because The Flash has changed directors, what, three times now? So, we'll see. But, I mean, I think he's probably Yeah, but he's it's Batman. Like, yeah, Flash is one thing. Yeah. But, like, making a Batman movie, like, very few yeah, people that aren't Ben Affleck are going to turn that down. But I think sure. what's interesting to talk about about that, and you were touching on it earlier, Gabe, in our, in our pregame, and that was... I'm sports metaphors. What's up? <laughs> I'm a huge douchebag. Pre-game, no, as we were pre-gaming. We tailgated, um, shotgunned a few beers. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, it gets the juices yep. flowing, man. Yep. Uh, that's not a terrible. I talked about batting averages. Everyone yep. was ribbing. It was great. It was great. Did you see the Patriots game? I, I actually did. I know. I I'm didn't. Sure did. I heard, I, it must have been very exciting. It was the biggest comeback I'm going to be straight with you. I absolutely watched professional darts unironically. <laughs> that's what's up. I saw your dartboard was off. Yeah, I I'm still a little upset about it. <laughs> That's what's up. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, what was I talking about? The Batman movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So what we were conjecturing about in our pregame was what made Ben Affleck leave this project because, and I brought this up last time, and it, it still fascinates me. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. It is especially. worth noting this episode with the way the episodes are going to come out. You're going to hear the discussion we are now just referring to after this discussion. Yeah. So, but that said, yeah, um, the. Okay, all right. So Ben Affleck, he the whole reason he got involved and started playing Batman, supposedly, and a lot of the I bet you there's a hundred articles you could find online that say this. Like Ben Affleck's caveat to being Batman was, I get to direct the Batman movie when it comes out. I get to write it and I get to direct it. Otherwise, I'm not gonna be Batman. And they were like, Yep, you can do it. That's it. And he was like, Great, I'm Batman. And to give that up now, it's like, it's it blows my mind. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder why. You know? I have heard him talking. I mean, it's, you know, this is all speculative, but I think he was getting really fed up with the clickbait and all that because, I mean, when you're attached to a project like that and it's still a long ways off, you're still going to get hammered by fans endlessly um, for bits of information. And, you know, he just came off writing and directing and starring in another movie that he that was more a passion project. and Live um, by night. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like it was like a bomb before it it even came out. Yeah, it didn't really do that well. It's like the first Ben Affleck directed movie to like not do well. Hmm. Did he? Did he direct? uh, What was it? The Accountant? No, no, he was in the Accountant. However, if you walk into any Walmart, there's a big standee about the Accountant in the front. They bought that real estate, man. Okay. Skylanders went down and the accountant good? went up. I haven't seen it. What even is it? The accountant? Uh, it's yeah. it's about a guy who's an accountant for all like the top mob bosses, and for whatever reason, mm-hmm. he decides he wants to quit or he tries to uh, disappear. Well, that's and not so okay. They, they come after him. They don't let and that shit go it, down. It, it turns out that the nerdlinger doing their numbers knows how to fight, so uh, he's apparently really and good with a sniper. He rate. knows too much. Yeah, something like that. Yes. It's. If it's if it's one of those movies like uh, like I hear Jonathan Wick is haven't seen it yet but I'm going to where they know they're making a genre movie and they lean on it with, yeah, with their sure. entire weight it might be it's like we're making a fun genre movie let's just make a fun genre sure. movie I don't know man it doesn't look like that from the the thing it looked very serious like 
like the like the, I think the poster was him, kind of like, uh, and then like the whole thing is like puzzle pieces. I don't know, something like that, where it's like very. I don't know. We'll see. I, I think that's a different movie actually. But anyway, All right. Um. So I, I mean, what is your thoughts, Gabe, on why this happened? Why, um, why would you leave if you were Ben Affleck and you were directing? <laughs> if, like, if you were Ben Affleck, if if I was if if I had gotten it in writing that uh, the studio can stay off my nutsack and I can make whatever movie I want to make. Uh, I just make the movie because I don't care what the quote unquote fan pressure is. It's like screw you guys, I'm making the movie. However, <laughs> that may not be the case. That's, yeah, that's I think what I, I think saying. what happened was maybe he got like his first taste of the studio just like poking at him saying, Hey, uh, because it's another Batman movie, the studio really wants to be involved to make sure it's good. So between the fanboys, which uh, he thought he was used to, but now it's a Batman movie that he's directing and it's a whole new level of guys like us poking at him and then a studio also poking at him he's like you know what never mind i really don't want this headache it's possible um also it's a bit so far the, the all the all of it at least critically is a big flaming train wreck um so that may change it could have changed that's Batman what i hear about change. rumors for every dc well, movie upcoming so what i would i would assume is he signed a contract to play batman he probably hadn't signed a contract to direct yet and if they were meddling just say F it, I'll play Batman, but I'm not going to be responsible for a movie that you've tinkered to death. I mean, it's probably I would assume it's like why Edgar Wright left Ant Man, where it's like yeah, yeah, just couldn't come to a creative agreement right. on where the thing was going. Sure, yeah, I can see that. Interesting. So. All right, next story. Uh, Legion premiered. The oh, dude, yeah. what did you think? <clears throat> I enjoyed it. I yeah. thought it, it isn't an X Men show. I mean, it's a psychological yeah, no, drama right. in the vein of Noah Howley. How it's a Noah Holly. Yeah, Holly. Whatever. It's 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 a show by him, like the Fargo show, mm. not anything super X Men. Although, although they I might be doing different. Mojo, I think that seems to I be saw a your possible tweet. thing. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird, but you know, I mean, I don't think they'd ever make Mojo the villain of an X Men movie, so maybe they'll just do a reinvented version for TV. Sure. Well, it I... seems like Mojo exists to be funny. Yeah. Like, like, Mojo is their version of a Lobo character, where it's just like, no, we want a character that embodies comic relief. Well, this show, although it has some, some small comic relief, is very serious. Um, and it it's it's interesting. So I, I would actually disagree a little bit on the Noah, it's similar to Fargo, Noah Hawley vibe, because I feel like that show was very plot-driven. It had good characters. But it was very much a plot. Here's some really interesting characterizations, but I don't think it went really deep into the psychology of those characters. I mean, whereas this show is all about like going really deep into the psychology of the character. I just think they're very, although they're obviously similarities, they're very, very different. I mean, they're even different. types of shows. I mean, they're different, but. I, I, Two things. First, I would say I'm more saying it's a prestige drama than it is a comic book. Adaptation. Got it. That makes but sense. But also, I think it's unfair to draw you know a line with two points where it's like, oh, because you know, I mean, he made both of them, and they should be different. He shouldn't just be doing the same show. Exactly. Exactly. I just get the sense it is the show he would want to make. No, absolutely. And I mean, it's that's very clear that it's very different than any superhero thing you've ever seen before. Uh, for me, the jury is 100 percent out on it. I watched it. Um, I found myself enjoying it. Um, certainly not in love with it. Um, and uh, I w what I was really struck by, and I, you know, obviously, don't want to go into too much, but I was really struck by like he, I, the way they made it sound in all of the the, the pre buzz was that this was going to be like Legion is a superhero in this, but that's the only character you're going to see. Like this is just the Legion story about what it would be like to be a superhero with, you know, amazing, maybe the most powerful mutant of all. 
um, but like people think you're crazy and like an exploration of that and it may still be that but boy by the end of that first episode it sure looks like it's an ensemble he's the main character but that it's an ensemble of mutant piece I, I went into it I didn't love the far, first season of Fargo I thought it dragged in the middle mm-hmm. and so I liked the first season of Fargo overall but to me I thought this was on par with that so I'm yeah. excited to see where it goes next but my expectations aren't through the roof yeah um, for me I think Fargo as you remember from my talking about it, I think it's a masterpiece uh, I think every minute of it is genius and um, and so for me like you know for, uh, comparing the two obviously that it doesn't grab me the way that does but we'll see you know we'll see how it we'll see how it, it turns out the critics seem to love it did you they've seen Kevin? three. I'm going to. I haven't got it yet. Critics have seen three, so that may have something to do with it. And I do know that, that it changes tonally, plot-wise, quite a bit uh, from the pilot, which is like an hour-and-a-half opus pilot. Like, a lot of things tend to be these days. Um, and, uh, and and then, you know, the next two episodes are, are more 44-minute, typical-length fare. So, cool. we'll see. Okay. To be uh, continued. Marvel announced their next big event, which is this. I mean, no, I it know. happens every year. Uh, which is Secret more, Empire. It seems like more frequent. Well, didn't Civil know. War? It just year? kind of ended. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Civil in there. War started in May. Well, the, yes, that's the thing. Their events last nine months now. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's basically going to be the big event based on Cap- Nick Spencer's Cap as a Hydra agent. Yeah. Uh, two ongoing yeah, I series. Know. Uh, I know. I know. I know. Gabe looks uh, unhappy. I don't really uh, care. Yeah, what do you I think just, about all this? Uh... uh I can't think of a nice way to say it. I think this is the reason I stopped reading superhero comics, because this is all bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, here's here's Captain America. Uh, Captain America is uh, th- Chris Evans' movie, the very first Captain America movie. That's him. Mm, that's right. the captain. Like, that's that's our n- Nazi-punching hero, uh, the embodiment of what uh, an American hero is, is supposed to be, as written and lived by Jack Kirby. Like, there's that line in the first movie where he says, hey, I got beat up in that parking lot, and that parking lot, <laughs> and in this alley, and behind that diner. Uh, that's a Jack Kirby story. Like, somebody, somebody's driving him down the street, and he says that to one of his comic friends, and one of his comic friends says, don't you ever run away? And Jack Kirby says, no, if you run away, the bullies will always come after you. You gotta take nothing from nobody, and that's how you always stand up for yourself. And that's the guy who made Captain America, and that's great. And then I see... All over Facebook, the panel of Captain America saying "Hail Hydra." I'm like, comics are over. <laughs> this is done. You're just looking for more shock value and weird nonsense. Well, exactly it's, what it, it is. To, it is they did the exact antithesis of what that character would do. <laughs> yeah. For the it, point of impact. Now I understand that. I understand for, that for it, the you point know. of selling issues. For the point of selling floppy comics, and the the way I look at it is like, no, these are done. We've got some great stories that were a lot of fun, and now's the time to just go to writers and say, hey, write me some short stories, write me some out-of-continuity stories that are... Write me some fairy tales using these characters. And continuity needs to be done and over. Because when when you get somebody who even looks like Captain America say, say Hail Hydra, I'm like, okay, how do I explain this away? He's a mutant. No, he's a clone. <laughs> no, no. He's a sleeper. They, they pulled him out of an alternate universe. No, it's... Uh, he'll be killed, and then he'll be brought back in some elaborate way, and then it'll be the real Captain America, and then he's going to make everything right again. I mean, somehow they have to, to I, fix what, it. What I see is transparent bullshit plot point that is just like, no, screw this. Screw this and screw you people. I'm not buying these anymore. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason being, there's a couple, because I, I agree with a lot of your points, and I do think that happens a lot. And 
you know, I think Marvel knew what they were doing on a marketing end when they put that issue out the same day as DC's Rebirth one shot, and they're like, we're going to one up the news cycle. Uh, <laughs> Gabe just I, I, agree, I agree with I your disgust. I just put my hand in the trash I, I, can. I'm I, so mad. I, I do agree with your disgust. <laughs> but... For me, there's a couple things. One is that I I like Nick Spencer from what I've read before, and he does lean in the direction of like the more paranoid and the political writing. So I think, however much Marvel agreed to it for a, you know, marketing, it's going to get eyes thing. I would also think it's probably a story he legitimately had in mind and wanted to tell. A way of differentiating himself too. I want to see a writer like that make up his own story and not have to use somebody else's character. Well, that's why that's why I recreate her own. I would I would buy the hell out of. And he's got this guy. He's got that. He's got yeah. He's got some image books and whatnot. But the other thing is like yes, I, I think it's intentionally nodding towards. It's, it's going to be reset. Because even in like the second issue of, of his ongoing for Steve, it was like, oh, Red Skull rewrote his brain with the Cosmic Cube. And so... <laughs> they, 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 <laughs> it's saying, exactly what you predicted, Gabe. Exactly. I'm not saying it's not ridiculous, but it's they just basically... just what you predicted. Except it was option 11 on the list you were enumerating. I am too you old. You just hadn't gotten to it yet. <laughs> you hadn't gotten to it yet. I'm too old. It was to 11 on Gabe's anymore. list. That's entirely The true. Cosmic Cube rewrite scenario. And I haven't read beyond any of that, so it could be terrible. And I've seen both... I've seen so much mixed opinion. He's a very outspoken person on Twitter as far as like politics and his views and opinions. So if you I mean, really want to do you want me to hear to describe the plot of Civil War 2? Uh, no. no. Yes, yes. I know. Yeah. This, I, the last time I tried to read superhero <laughs> books was in the middle of Civil War 1 and like I read a, a handful of Spider-Man books. I was like screw every part of this. They like gave him another costume and no. I no. I don't know. Also, the other thing for me is I, I think it is written from a perspective of obviously everything's going to reset. And, and I think continuity is such a thing where it's as important as you care about. And I think they've gotten better at ignoring it as much as possible while also... I don't know. It's weird to discuss that. But, like, Superior Spider-Man is something that happened where it was like... That is an excellent one. See, that's the... That it was obviously going to end. There's going to be a movie coming out. You're not going to have Spider-Man be evil. But for the, like... And also, they do play with the things that you're talking about, like because they know people feel the way that you feel really strongly. I feel, to some degree, the same way. Uh, a lot of people do. You know, that it's all reconnable. There's going to be a cosmic cube, and it's going to undo everything in this somehow. So when Superior came out, um, Dan, what Dan Slott did was he... So, so in that one, Doc Ock does this elaborate plot to take over Spider-Man's body. Yeah, I heard about this. Right. Yeah. So so he so for 34 issues Doc Ock is Spider-Man. So for the first 12 or 13 issues there's this glimmer of Peter Parker acting as a ghost. And so he's there like teasing him and he's still there in the mind. You're like, "Oh great. Well, that's exactly how they're going to bring him back." His personality's still in there somewhere. And by like the 15th or some issue, it's just like as eight a, or nine, eight or nine Dan Slott as a fuck you to everyone who's like grasping at it. I hope Spidey's not dead. His ghost's still there. He's got to come back. And then like Dan Slott says, yeah, it kills that ghost too. Just as like an extra fuck you to say, oh, maybe Spider-Man's really dead. And then like, of course, by the end, you know, he's not. But, it, but, every, they, but they play with the fact that people know that. Every single person I've ever talked to has told me about that Spider-Man series and has told me, no, it's actually really great. Uh, if you have to start your sentence with no, it's actually I don't. I, 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 I disagree. Bet you, I, I disagree. bet you it is the Magna Carta. I bet you it's the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. I bet you it is every bit as cool as you say it is because consensus. 
everyone whose opinion right. I respect has said, no, this is a really good series. So what's wrong with still have, not gonna what's wrong it. with having to start a sentence that way? That's a way of saying, like, despite the fact that, that we're, we're living in a world where you got to have shock value to sell your books or else you weren't writing that book anymore, despite all that, he still created something of incredible creative worth that is deserving of your time. Why, why is that not okay? Just on an emotional level, it turns okay. me off. All right, all right. I'll give you that. I bet you it's great. I bet you it's wonderful because, like I said, every single person whose opinion I respect has said, no, no, it's 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 really incredible series. It's worth reading. No, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. Okay. I think that's right. I'll just go and read see John Romita Spider-Man because that's where yeah. I live. All right. I have a lot. I know some people who haven't touched Spider-Man in like a decade since Brand New Day happened. So I mean, Oh, man. That was so I, I, I picked that up because Umberto Ramos was doing the art. Uh, and it doesn't look like Humberto Ramos anymore. It looks like uh, the Marvel house style. And I read an issue and I'm like, I'm done, I'm done. This is the worst ever. <laughs> why <laughs> Why did I think that I could come back again? Oh, look, he has a new costume! <laughs> Screw this book. <laughs> um, so Secret Empire is coming out. This is why I love having Empire. artists on because, like, that is a very insightful argument there, you know? Uh, Eric Heiser, who wrote Arrival, yeah. has a new ongoing with Valiant, which sure. is kind of cool. It's like, um, it's some kind of Harbinger spinoff, which, oddly enough, I, I mean, I love the Vaughn universe. I've not read Harbingers yet. I've read Exo Manowar, Archer Armstrong, Rye, Faith, um, some Bloodshot. I've read Harbinger. But really, the big, great. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, they're the two biggest Bloodshot and Harbinger. That's the one that they're... No way the is Bloodshot the biggest. Really? Well, but the, they're going to be the two movies that are kind of Which like I think a, is a mistake. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, I mean, I think Exo Manowar beats the heck out of Bloodshot. The but, thing about Exo um, Man of War is it's unpreproducible on any kind of budget. That's yeah, the problem. That's it's huge yeah. and expansive. That's sure. why. But anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know much about the story on this one, but um, yeah, he's because he's going to be the screenwriter for Bloodshot and Harbingers, and so during the process of that, um, I can't believe he got, got tapped him. to... Yeah, he got tapped to... He, he kind of came up with the idea for this book, and then... Um, what I forget the artist. It's another Valiant veteran is the artist. it's also a good way to you know him to uh, do, to really more embody like the whole comic world yeah it himself. Right. it's also a way for comic book fans not that that's the important part sure. but for comic book fans to get familiar with his name sure um much more important is for a movie anyway um to yeah, know different. who the writers yeah. are but i'm excited it's it well, how about that for you gabe why don't you think about something like a valiant universe deep dive because uh, that would be something without all of this yeah, maybe, because something I wanted to bring up is, like, uh, let's talk about continuity Marvel Universe again. Um, what's his name? I'm so sorry. Iron Man. What's his name? Tony, Tony Stark. Stark. Tony Stark, thank you. I'm sorry, brain fart. Uh, Tony badge Stark. badge of honor. You decide. Tony Stark got the injury that made Iron Man a necessity in Vietnam. Like, uh, uh, oh, Professor X lost the use of his legs because of Korea. That's, those are old. Like, that's still part of continuity, and they just have to gloss over that as hard as they can, that these guys are, like, close to 100 years old now if you're following continuity properly. Um, so Valiant, yeah, sidesteps that because Valiant didn't put out books for the longest time. Uh, and I'd be into it. I tell you what, one of my... It's a time issue. It's, it's a time and money issue. Uh, one of my favorite comic people just in the history of ever. He's just one of my favorite people I is Rafer Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. yeah. Rafer Roberts is one of the best guys ever. Like, back to what you were saying, just, oh, you're lucky you could draw. No. Re like, look up his his self-published stories, um, Plastic Farm, and, like, read from the beginning and look at his art now, and you can watch him over those years progress. That's a writer who taught himself to draw over the course of years. And now his art with uh, the Nightmare of the Rat um, newspaper-sized thing he put out, his art hit this beautiful zenith. 
Uh, but he's just one of my favorite comics guys. He's one of my favorite self-publishers. And when I saw that he was going to do some writing for Valiant, I was like, oh, suddenly I care about Valiant. Yeah, good. Because um, it's his, very good, that, too, by the way. Not surprising. Yeah. That book? Yeah, well, yeah his, I heard I heard that was incredible. He It's basically the second Archer and Armstrong yeah. ongoing, which actually wrapped up. I think it was only 12 issues. Something wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, the original Valiant, like, the, my my mm-hmm. comic collection came from my older brothers when they left and they were in mm-hmm. college, and I sure. raided, raided their closets and just pulled out all their comics and sure. read it. So I read the old, old original Valiant right. stuff yeah. from when it came out. So, like, I'm into it. It's just, uh, for some reason, the guy who grew up on superheroes... Uh, and the tick is now interested in black and white comedies and slice of life stories. So I mean, we all grow up. Yeah. Well, no. Like the, the trick is, it's I grew up and became boring. Uh, that doesn't sound like <laughs> any kind of trick. That change. sounds like everybody. Uh, it's, Don't it's, they always say like you get boring when you get older? Kind of. It's it's also this other weird part. Like I've uh, you're supposed to start out like as this young, angry uh, guy yeah. who's very bohemian and becomes tempered with age. Like I'm getting angrier and more bohemian with age. So like <laughs> I'm getting okay. into deeper, weirder. Different, so I, so it wouldn't it wouldn't be boring. It's more esoteric and uh, uh, eccentric and, yeah, and, and, and weird and odd. I have some Oni Press books to recommend. Ornery. And Oni, yeah. Oni used to be my favorite publisher. Yeah, don't, uh, it sounds like you're just, on, yeah, yeah. Right now. Sounds like you're just on your way to a less mainstream version of Get Off of My Lawn. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and I'm getting angrier. It's the indie Clint Like Eastwood. I changed the, the little company that I self-published my books. I changed the name from Firelights Media to Coffee and Hate. So now, whenever I put wow. out whenever I put out a book, it says "Made with Coffee and Hate" on it. Okay, like the art book that I'm kickstarting right now, that seal is on the back. Awesome. Every time I finish I a video, we're... that's the logo you oh, see. Are we years. there yet? What? No, we got one more. All right. No, let's. That, I, I'm brief. not not trying to take us out of order here. You're, you're fine. We, we I love a segue. We all. opened with like a third with a 25 minute Batman. <coughs> so that I think works. I think that works. You, can, you cut out the 25 minutes and just tell people to watch <laughs> the animated series because all the best stuff we'll is there. Cut to the end. Uh, the last bit of news, and it's not a big big thing, but the Marvel announced the next big Star Wars crossover. But the first oh, one. Oh yeah, yeah, that. Oh yeah. yeah. Between the main. Are you in Star Wars book and the Doctor Afra book? Uh, and so here's the one thing it's called I will the say Screaming about, Citadel. Here's the one thing I will say about advice for Disney and Marvel as they go forward. So I read the new Darth Maul comic and it's fun, but it was disappointing at the same time because it was pretty much just a rehash of old uh, Darth Maul novels from the old extended universe. He's just it's set before episode one and he's just like hunting Jedi and um like doing random jobs to buy his time while the Emperor is plotting, you know, the with the Trade Federation and all that and so he's just kept on a leash and I wanna I'd be more interested in a book that deals with Darth Maul's past and looks into how he became who he is, not just like, oh, I'm going around hunting people and doing random jobs to buy time, you know? So well, I, mean, I that, think that, that story exists. Yeah, but I'm as, just saying, like... Uh, I, I mean, as far as, like, the comic can do what it's going to do, but, yeah. I mean, they, but that saying, all is there. If you want that, go watch the Clone Wars and Rebels. I know. And that's a weird thing to say about any media franchise. I know, like, Go but watch I'm, the cartoons, but... I'm just saying, we're coming on two years of the Marvel Star Wars comics, and they've been really good so far, but, like... And, I mean, Darth Vader is great, but, like, um... There's, I think it's time for them to venture out into, okay, doing less just straight up fun books and doing more that 
really build the universe of it because they've erased the old canon. Now it's time to build new stuff and I mean, take it. You, you got to remember though, they're comics. They're never going to be the leader. Yeah, I <laughs> they, know. they literally. I mean, they can't be. I know. So, I but mean, yeah. Uh, but anyway, this is a crossover. I think Kieran Gillen and Jason Aaron are two of the best oh, writers working yeah, today. Yeah. So I like both of the on. I think a lot of people do. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I mean, The Wicked and Divine is probably one of my fa- five favorite ongoings right now. Um, you might like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's an image. If, if it's got oh, it's an image book. It is yeah, an image yeah. book. Okay, yeah. then yes, I am interested. <laughs> yeah, image images. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's about like a group. Minor standard. Wigan Divine, which is fantastic, is about a group of like the ancient gods who are reborn every ninety years, and then they're whatever is popular at the time. So like in the I forget what they are, were in the early nineteen hundreds, but they're reborn yeah. today, and they're all pop stars, and they like perform underground clubs and religious experiences and whatnot and it's just a really fun book but anyway with, with twists and turns and surprises and gruesomeness and yeah and yeah. so this is just another star wars crossover which you know isn't worth like i said it's not a big story but they're gonna do like a cthuloid gothic horror version yeah so who knows what that'll be interesting i don't know interesting awesome so, did i hear cthulhu gothic horror and star wars like those In are being matched up? yes that doesn't sound right <laughs> We'll just end all that. Deep I really side. do want to put you <laughs> and Tommy in a room. Have you met Tommy? Before? Tommy Lee yeah. Edwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I met him. Uh, I met him when I was first making comics. Okay. Like, have you talked with him a lot? Because I would love no. to see you guys. We, go on we, a we rant never get a chance to to chat because, like, right after I met the guy, he he rocketed off and became a god. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, uh, uh, just, and I'm one of the little people he left behind. I'm just I, kidding. I don't I'm know. Uh, go up to if you get a chance to like at uh, the next time to go up to his hair and like I would love to see you guys go on a rant together. It'd be hilarious. Uh, yeah, just two angry old men. Yes. No offense. I love no, them, no. I love these. Though, I'm, I'm, they're I'm, so entertaining. I feel like I'm aging into my personality. Like uh, uh, nice. When something I was talking to a friend of mine she worked at a daycare she was 25 at the time and she's like oh I feel old all the kids are using the slang I don't understand and I was like I didn't understand the slang when I was a kid mm-hmm. so now when I get older I'll be like I don't understand the kids all the kids around me look stupid ah situation normal this is my life right this is my whole life right. now I'm old enough to not be the weirdo in the classroom well that's a that's a beautiful segue yeah so we've uh, we've, we've now spent about an hour and a half letting our, <laughs> letting our guest antagonize my <laughs> comics that's every podcast i'm ever on ever so, so that's a good way a good place for you to start talking about how you're replacing. you do enough podcasts enough people will stick around and, and have, have listened to the actual interview part but uh <laughs> we're gonna now talk about gabriel himself and all of his projects prepare to be bored <laughs> prepare for boredom and disappointment uh, hardly uh, and an hour of it because i just talk forever. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, let's start with, I guess, uh, where, where did you start? I think we, we probably had this discussion, but that was two years ago, and it was over Skype, and it was kind of <laughs> an awkward recording session. Uh, my, but, uh, my start in comics. Yeah, where did you get started? What books yeah. did you work I'm on? I'm the youngest of five. My older brothers, uh, it was like in the middle of, of Image first becoming a thing, awesome. and uh, comic collecting is what every, every boy did at this age, and some girls, but uh, I didn't get to meet them yet. Uh, I was six years old. My older brothers are six and nine years older than I am. So they're into comics, and they've got how to draw the Marvel way, and I want to be just like them, so I, I'm also into comics. Uh, they grow up, they leave the house, I stick around, and I read all of their comics on the sly. My favorite in the beginning was Spider-Man, because of course it is. Uh, the nerd who gets picked on at school, but is secretly the coolest superhero ever. Yeah, I'm into that guy. 
Uh, it's the perfect. Uh, it's the perfect book for really a comic to be about. Exactly. Or topic, I should say. Um, as a young fellow, I also discovered uh, Sin City. Way like I was too young. <laughs> I, I remember I was ten years old. I picked up Sin City. I read the first two pages and said, "You know what? Nah." It's like, it's like me seeing Basic Instinct at thirteen. Oh, you parented yeah. yourself. You were like, "Yeah, no. no, I parented myself." I said, "You know what? I'm actually straight up not ready for this one. Yeah. I'm gonna put this away." And then I picked up The Tick. And then That's just the more whole world changed because the tick was so freaking funny. Did you watch that new Amazon pilot? I did. Uh, it I was good. It. it was not ticky enough. Yeah, it was kind of. Eh. I don't think the casting was solid, but it was like I I don't know. <laughs> the there voice was something actor. about. The, yeah, the voice actor in the uh, the cartoon series nailed it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so in this pilot, you've got somebody who says Arthur. Destiny is standing at the door. Won't you open the... No, no, that's not how the tick talks. The tick does not get close and make nose-to-nose eye contact. The tick throws out his chest and says, Arthur, Destiny is standing at the door. Won't you open the door and let her in? That's the tick, man. Give me... Did he interact? A little Nathan Fillion. Okay. A little bit. Well, 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 we have a few <laughs> things to talk about. I was a theater kid growing up, and I'm like, dude, you could total, I could totally see you in a drama class. Say, yeah. No, yeah. well, of course, I, I, I talk forever and say nothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm the ham from drama class. That's absolutely right. Um, so The Tick turned me on to black and white indie comedy books from the 90s. And Bone? to this Hell yes, Bone. Bone is the shit. All right, I bought Bone. The Brick came out in 2004. The Brick. The Brick came out in 2004. And I bought it just be, sight unseen. It's just, I flipped and saw, this is 1,400 pages of just comic. I Sounds like Jordan. Yeah. yeah. It's so, nice to get a big, big chunk of comics. Yeah, and I realized, like, at the time, that's the first, that's that's the Moby Dick of comics. That's the first time uh, a human had completed a work that size right, outside right. of Cerebus. And if you ask me, Cerebus doesn't count. Uh, because, like, I think there was a period where he just basically made an illustrated novel. Like, it's it's a prose novel, and every now and then he'll throw in some illustrations. So it's like, yeah, that doesn't count. Here's here's a finished comic. And it took uh, Jeff Smith and his wife, Vijaya Iyer, 12 years to make that happen. Uh, and the older I get, the more I think Vijaya needs to be canonized as one of the great patron saints of comics, because she's the reason Bone exists. Like, Jeff could have... Made it, maybe he couldn't have, but without Vijaya, that thing dies. Uh, and she's just... Uh, What's her role? She, she's Jeff Smith's wife, and she's also... Um, she qu- Alright, look, she... It's the early 90s, Silicon Valley is blowing up. And they are in Silicon Valley, and she's got a tech job in the tech industry at a company that's just about to become one of the Fortune 500. Mm-hmm. And she, her husband, is making this dinky little self-published black-and-white comic that comes out every other month... He writes a business plan, hands it to her, and says, here's my idea, uh, can we make this work? And she quits her job, picks up his business plan, and does all of the business aspect of Bone, the comic for cartoon books. And it works. Like, it takes, the, the more I get into the business of comics, the more I understand the tireless effort it takes to make a comic work at all. Uh, and she's the reason that book exists today. Jeff made the book, but she's the reason that it was financed. Right. Like, I want a poster of her on my wall. 
the way Little Rock kids have a poster of Van Halen. <laughs> the kids still listen to Van Halen, right? Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> no. Also, but... <laughs> get off my lawn. Yeah, right. A <laughs> uh, teenager in high school, I uh, stop reading superhero comics when I'm 16. The Spider-Man movie comes out. And it's just this wonderful time where it's like, that was fun. I had that time. That time is over. And then I read Sin City again. You're put, put away the childish things moment? It's not, it's not even that it's childish things. Like, I'm one of those guys that's like, no, superhero stuff. There's a lot of very forward-thinking stuff in here. This is worthy of collegiate study. There needs to be dissertations on this. It's just, it hit the point where it's like, you're just telling the story again. Now you're just doing weird shit to keep the corpse alive. Right. Make something new. And the people right. who were making something new were, were people who would have an image book or Oni Press mm-hmm. or my personal favorite, uh, Top Shelf. Uh, and then you get the people who just smelled their own farts professionally, uh, which would be your Drawn and Quarterly and your Fantagraphics. Uh, which, don't get me wrong, I'll read their books, they have their place, but man, those people smell their own farts like nobody's business. Oh my word. And Top Shelf is very, very interested in putting out stories. Uh, so, like Matt Kent's uh, super spy type stuff. Yeah, or... And Eddie's the surrogates, I love that one. That one, yeah. or um, like uh, my favorite graphic novelists are, uh, uh, among others, like this is not the whole list, but my, two of my favorites are Doug Tenable and right. um, Alex Robinson. Right. And Top Shelf puts out all of Alex Robinson and Doug Tenable, like his seminal books, uh, like Creature Tech. Top Shelf were the first people to pick that up. Now he's obviously like got like Scholastic on board. But. He went from top shelf to Image, and now Scholastic. And Scholastic actually reprinted some of his old Image books. I mean, um, it makes sense. They have the public publishing rights. They have. Yeah, they're they, publishing. They uh, dropped the money, got them yeah. colored. Excuse me. Uh, so when I'm a teenager, I read Sin City again, and I started reading the creator own stuff. I discovered. When did Oni. you read Watchmen? Uh, Watchmen, I read when I was 15, 16, in there. Uh, Seminal for you? Yeah, it was huge because it did a lot of things that only comics can do. Yeah, um, it, it uh, really is amazing. It's it's like it's it's it one of those things it. where every every comic fanboy is like, oh, you got to read Watchmen. But, seriously though, you need to read. Yeah, Watchmen. yeah <laughs> it's yeah. really good. Yeah, uh, the movie, the Watchmen movie, I thought it was great. I actually enjoyed it too. I mean, it's shot I, for shot. Yeah. yeah, when people when people said, "Oh, I hated that movie," it's like, look, they can't do everything the book did. The book no. was freaking huge. The only problem that I have with that movie, and it's been a while since I've seen it once or twice, and it was a long time ago. But the only problem I have with it is something that a lot of people loved about it, and and that is that I think that the soundtrack became too front and center yeah. and took away from the film a bit. I understand um, that. It, it very much like I'm going to bring show all these anthems <laughs> of an era. And I mean, just like an incredibly expensive licensed soundtrack, and it's just at a, there, I it. right. And at a certain point, I was like, "I'm, I'm. This is starting to feel like Forrest Gump." Well, at, in the back of every chapter is a quote, and they're usually quotes are from song lyrics. Like mm-hmm. there was they um, when Night Owl and Rorschach are in the airship in Antarctica and they're on their way to Vite's yeah, yeah. place. Mm-hmm. The quote at the end of that chapter was from uh, All Along the Watchtower. Sure. Yeah. So when I'm watching the movie. And you see that scene where they're flying across the ice, and uh, the Jimi Hendrix version starts playing. I got goosebumps. Yeah, like I understand where you're coming from. You're not wrong because it did take away, but because I read the book, I'm like, <gasps> uh, <laughs> the end of the Watchmen book disappointed me because I spent the whole book falling in yeah, love yeah, with Rorschach and Night Squid. That was fine. I get it. And it's at the end of the day, it's a superhero comic. Weird stuff is allowed to happen, right? Um, Night Owl said, oh, I don't agree with it, but I'm going to go along. And that was it. And it was very anticlimactic. And Rorschach said, no, screw you guys. 
this is wrong and I'm going to tell everybody. And he knows he's not allowed. And he knows, like, somebody's going to kill you before you get the chance. And he just accepts it. He's like, well, then this is how I choose to die. Right. And so I appreciated that about Rorschach. And I, I, it wasn't quite the gut-wrenching scene in the comic. Now, in the movie, the actor who played Rorschach did incredible. And in the Jack movie... Yeah. And Haley. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the movie, Night Owl beats up Vite and has the line that was missing from the comic. You didn't save humanity. You deformed it. You've ruined our species. That was the line. And in the movie, he got to say the line and he got to beat the crap out of the villain. And so that was hugely satisfying. You can see, though, why Alan Moore would have wanted it to be a little less Hollywood. Well, th- yeah, there lies the trick. Alan Moore is saying, this guy, Night Owl, is not really a hero. He's a good guy. Well, it's a book about gray areas. Exactly. And he's he's just like, at the end of the day, Night Owl is a pussy. That's it. He'll roll over. And in the movie, they said, it's, it's kind of the story of, no, Night Owl becomes a hero in that moment. Got he it. was a rich guy who was playing hero and then grew into one at the final moment of the movie. Interesting. And it was made even more beautiful because it was completely impotent. Like, he's he's finally a hero, and it's not enough. It's not good enough. Uh, he can't save the world yeah. the way that he would have wanted to. Uh, and then the scene where Rorschach dies... Spoiler alert from the book that came out when I was born. <laughs> uh, the scene where Rorschach dies is, is more or less shot for shot, line for line in the comic, but because that actor is so good, the gut-wrenching aspect was played way more up, and I felt it so much more watch that movie again. Yeah, it was a great movie. You I, do. I don't understand the haters. So I, read... I mean, it's just it's just that it's it's shot for shot, it's very long, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's uh, some of those actors are uh, a little less than charismatic in the traditional Hollywood way. I mean, there's, yeah. there's reasons. I didn't <laughs> even know that Luke and Owen had another brother. Yeah. Uh, for, he stars in an indie movie called Stretch. It's on Netflix. Watch it right now because it's funny and wonderful. There's a movie on Netflix called? called White Girl. Don't ever watch it. <laughs> called what? Yeah. what what's White this one Girl. called? Stretch. Stretch. He's a yeah. limo driver in Los Angeles who uh, had a gambling problem, but he uh, stopped gambling, and now he's just paying down his debt to his loan shark. Okay. Uh, so the and movie shit opens. Happens. Yeah, the movie opens with. Uh, his girlfriend dumps him, so he's trying to trying to build his way back up. And then his loan shark calls him and says, "Hey, I sold your marker to somebody else, and they're calling your debt in tonight by midnight. So he has to find a way to uh, limo drive enough people and make enough tips to pay off his debt that night. And so it's That's this, kind of a stretch. You're a horrible person. And I, 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 <laughs> it's a great movie, but yet it's he's a driving a stretch limo. It's it's a it's the a meaning farcical. Right, I'm ignoring you completely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a farcical heist uh, movie, kind of, and it's great. Yeah. And that actor is incredible, and he yeah. does his who plays a role. Well. The right. same guy who did Night Owl, Patrick Wilson. Oh right, right. That's how that started. And, and yeah. he's he's just fantastic. He's like he's also in a Gifted Man as a TV show. That was pretty good. I don't. I'm sorry. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it. Uh, he's he's. Like like a slightly more friendly Will Arnett. <laughs> yeah, well, I can see that. Actually. Yeah, like Will Arnett, I never vote for him. Like Will Arnett is perfect as Bojack because you're not in his corner, not really. Uh, he's he's the perfect scoundrel. Uh, whereas uh, Patrick Wilson is Will Arnett that you do root mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, it's getting way back on topic. 
Uh, teenager. This is every episode. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. I'm a teenager. I'm reading all of the comic staples. That's when I read my my Dark Knight, my Killing Joke, The Watchmen. I reread Sin City. A Dame to Kill For is one of the best works of comics craft ever because the guy who's writing it also drew it, and he could do things like uh, he draws the room and then describes how it smells. You know what I mean? Like the so the writing fills in where the art leaves out. Or he'll make a very abstract panel and describe what happens in it because he's like, oh, I can't draw this, but I can describe it. So he doesn't draw it, and he does describe it. And it was a huge lesson for me. And then uh, as I get into college, I start diving deep into the black and white indies. Like uh, Evan Dorkin became a big deal for me because of his his self-made anthology called Dork. Uh, and it's what's really adorable is like they came out, some of them came out when... Uh, he and Sarah Dyer before they were dating. So he's like in the opening, he's like Sarah Dyer did the colors on the cover and boy, she's just great. I, I really respect this comics creator. And then they are dating and he's talking about how Sarah did the colors and she's so wonderful at what she does. And to find out now, like they've been married for something like 12 or more years. No, they've been married for longer than that. Their daughter is 12 now. Uh, and that's just that's just cute. That's fun to hear that that this this myopic, sad, angry little man, and I'm becoming as angry as he is as time goes on, uh, found this this wonderful woman who's who's uh, who tempers him like like a hammer in an anvil, uh, and they've got this this very uh, uh, wonderful daughter together, and it, it's just one of those stories that gives you hope. It's like angry fanboys who are terrible people as they're growing up have a chance to grow up and be real adults with a family and a woman who will love and understand them. You've sure. got the family. What are you going to do? Uh, no, it gave me hope before Megan and I were married. Okay. Yeah, that, I discovered it while we were while we were dating, and I was wondering what the hell that woman was doing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, maybe she might stick around. Okay. Uh, fun fact, we're, we've been married, it'll be 10 years this March. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and our daughter is uh, seven years old. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's still don't know what she's doing with me, but she's stuck now. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. said I do. The marriage I was... is easy enough to dissolve, but the kid, it's kind of like, that's it. <laughs> she said I do, and I said no take backs. I showed you all my dirty laundry. You can't, you can't claim yeah. you didn't know now. Uh, so that's, that's lovely. Uh. Um, it is. I decided when I was a teenager, I'm totally going to make comics, and in the back of my head, it's like, either that or be a drummer for a heavy metal band. And that was the back. That was the back. <laughs> wow, that is like the worst plan B ever. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It's the best plan B of all time. It's the most <laughs> punk rock plan B, but I don't know. No, it's the most metal plan B, because punk rock is bullshit, and metal is where it's oh, at. Oh, okay, I see. Punk rock is where you go to be a dilettante. Metal is where you go to be a lifer. All right. All Punk right. rock is where you go when you have disdain for your instrument. Metal is when you go when your instrument is the key to your salvation. Uh, and I, I took drums and drumming that's, that's very That's definitely seriously. true. All of those things you said are very interesting uh, dichotomy. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, um, p- Punk says do it yourself and make it look crappy and not care. Metal says do it yourself, but work really hard so that you do it well. Uh, so, like, the DIY wow. attitude is not something that the punkers only own. Metal guys are just like, yeah, but work on it. You can make yourself good, so make yourself good. Do it yourself. Oh, that sounds great. I just wish I liked metal more. Huh, yeah. Well, maybe you're listening to the wrong stuff, man. Go, t- go back in time and listen to, like, get a best of Iron Maiden. Okay. Because right. Iron Maiden is good. Old, old emo head here. Ah, uh, it's okay. 
<laughs> There's hope for you. I've been forgiven before. Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite I for absolution in my everyday life. <laughs> my favorite metal band, of, uh, not metal band. My favorite band of all time is Rush. Uh, and so when I discovered Rush, at the same time that I was discovering all of the indie comics, um, that's when I discovered, oh, drums can be taken very seriously, and this can be a lifelong pursuit. That's really interesting. And then I listened to Iron Maiden, and I liked them almost as much as Rush, and I'm listening to an interview with their lead singer, and he says, basically, we just wanted to be Rush, only more aggressive. I said, oh, well, hit the nail on that. Wow, that's a, isn't it weird when coincidences like that happen? <coughs> yeah. When you find out like the, the essence of something, just like in your own experience? It's really yeah. interesting. Uh, when I was in college, I was also in music school and art school and writing school at different times. My degree is in writing because uh, comics are literature before they are anything else. Uh, if you had a choice, if you wanted to make comics all yourself, learn how to write and teach yourself to draw. Right. Uh, most art schools will not teach you the way that you need to draw if you want to make comics properly. Uh, because uh, for most art schools, comics are a vagabond art form, which is. Not entirely wrong, but also entirely <laughs> so wrong. So did you only learn from... I mean, that's how it was in my house. Like, I, I never got into comics young because in my house they were there was disdain for comics. There was... Uh, and, and, and understandably, my mom didn't know about Essex County. My mom knew about, you know, Superman. You yeah. know, and, and to her that was like, you know, what... what Whatever. I mean, I'm not, it's not... She just didn't know that there was, like, you know, literature-level comics, you know, yeah. and, and what... Anyway, so I so I never really got into it. So what was then the thing? So if it was treated with disdain, not disdain, but if it was vagabond level at art school, yeah. Um, did you learn just by doing? Did you learn from books like um, uh, the one you mentioned, How to Draw the Marvel Way? Oh, okay. Well, How to Draw the Marvel Way, and then also uh, understanding comics, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely read that. In between panels and those kind of lessons. Uh, yes, that was that was huge because understanding was mostly. Uh, um, a, a scholarly idea of here's what's happening inside of your brain when you're reading comics. Right. This is the mm -hmm. actual nuts and bolts of how it works. We read it in film and literature. Yeah. yeah Understanding. I, yeah. Uh, when sense. I was 16, I told everybody I want to make comics when I grow up, and I didn't tell them about wanting to be a metal drummer. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, just, you drum. They, yeah, I was about to say. They just kind of figured that out because I played metal drums really loud and very frequently. Right. Uh, and my brother, for, for Christmas one year, gave me uh, Understanding Comics. And so I read that and Reinventing uh, during this time where I'm just kind of uh, becoming the comics guy. And then Making and whatever. Yeah, I, more. Making came out. My wife got that for me as a Christmas present. And then around the time of my birthday that year in his 50-state tour to push that book, Scott McCloud came to NC State. Wow. So we drove from Greenville as a birthday gift to me, from Greenville to NC State to the Tally Student Center hmm. at the time. They've since moved oh, yeah. and changed the building. Yeah, just uh, and got to see him give his presentation and met his two kids who are now college aged. Right. Which is just freaky beyond words. <laughs> How cool was that experience? It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And he he did this one thing that I learned a lot from and kind of hurt my heart a little bit. Uh, he apologized for reinventing comics. It was just kind of an offhand. It's like, I did understanding comics. I did reinventing comics. Sorry. And then I was like, why are you saying? Because everybody hated that book. And he got lampooned hard. And everybody in web. I don't know about that one. I know about, I've read understanding. I know about yeah. making for His but. idea was, you know what? If you could put comics, uh, this was made in 2000. If you put comics on the internet and charge people like a quarter a piece, you'll make tons of money. There will be so many comics that nobody would ever... Uh, so many comics would be so possible that weren't before. 
and the publishers would be completely cut out. How great is that? Uh, and he just described how the comics business had worked uh, on this timeline and said, here's what you can happen with the internet. And it came out in 2000. It, he it wrote it in 2000. Like a lot of things, maybe too too early, ahead of his time. Yeah, it was ahead of his time. It He wrote it in 2000. It was published in 2001. And at the time, the freemium version of webcomics had started to root. And so all the people were just like, this is bullshit, blah, 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 and crapping on his book. I love that book. Like, it was, for me, it was a perfect primer. Oh, here's how the business works. And he would draw out diagrams. Here's the creator. Here's the giant, vast economic machine. And then here's the reader. And he describes every step on the way. And for a teenager who's about to go into college, that was a beautiful book that really explained the world to me. So that's the business book, would you say? Yeah, that's it's more and creativity. Yeah, it's it's the business. I'm trying book. to understand what that book is. It's more or less the business book and the forward thinking. Here's what could happen book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he made Zot. Is that all he did? <clears throat> uh, I think he worked on some other books before that, but like he did Zot, and then he did the Understanding, Reinventing, and Making, and then he made the Sculptor, the new one, which is beloved. Correct. I, it depends on who you talk to. Like, when it came out, I um, listened to a bunch of podcasts, and I listened to one podcast where they just tore him a new one. They just ripped into him and hated on him as hard as they could, and I've listened to others that just praise it as the greatest gold standard. Here's what happens. When NPR gets a hold of The Sculptor by Scott McCloud, NPR has already heard of Scott McCloud. He's mm-hmm. the guy for, for the scholarly reports on comics. Sure. So... You get a bunch of people who don't read comics to read The Sculptor and say, what an amazing book. But their reviews are like, it's a comic book, but there's no superheroes. And like every now and then he'll bold some of the text. You really get a sense of the emphasis of of the Stuff everybody's known forever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the guys who've been... The backlash is the other critics who read comics... Like it's their it's it's their entire life right. force. This is an interesting uh, little case study. Yeah, here's here's what trick. happens when non comics readers yeah. praise something and how that can backfire. The the trick is the sculptor was a good book. It's good. Okay. It's not great. People were expecting great because yeah. Scott McCloud is a huge name and he's the guy who ripped open comics and showed us how they worked. Which is and interesting if, because he didn't have like this huge history of stuff before that either. I mean, he had yeah. Zot, a couple other things. So it's weird to... It was very bold of him yeah. to say, I'm going to become the resource on how to make comics when I've made some stuff. You know? Yeah. It's not like... Anyway, sorry. I think he was filling a hole that wasn't there before. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, I'm a smart guy. I've pulled this apart. Nobody else is talking about comics this way, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and the sculptor's good. It's all right. But it's not great, and I think a lot of the backlash came from people who were uh, expecting great, and they didn't get it. Yeah. And then the NPR set, who, unless they say it's great, they'll lose legitimacy. So, no, this is great. Yeah. This is a wonderful masterpiece. And also who praised it on merits that every comic possesses, yeah, as exactly. opposed to things uniquely good about that book. You get a bunch of people who've never read right. comics before unless they were six years old, and that was Archie, and it's because a parent bought it for them mm-hmm. uh, to read a comic for the first time ever. So, yeah, of course it was mind-shattering for those people. So, so Scott McCloud, anyway, seminal to your process. Absolutely. It was, it was a pleasure to meet him, and he taught me never to apologize. Uh, I have uh, see in art school. Yeah, because that, that you asked about the drawing. Well. Yeah, you asked about the drawing. Yeah. Art school, did, it, it was bad. And there was like a figure drawing class that I took that was actively destructive towards the kind of art that you need to make to make comics. Uh, draw what you see, smack. Draw what you see. No, that's not correct. 
uh, invent what you see, reinvent what you see. What you're the person in front of you is reference. You're not you're not making a photograph with charcoal. You are referring to an actual figure and making something new and wonderful. That's what you're doing. That's how you find and forge your own voice. Interesting. And they'll teach you that at places that teach animation. But at an art school where they're trying to basically trying to gear you to being a quote unquote serious painter, fine artist. Yeah, exactly. Or... Now I took graphic. I started in the graphic design program, and one of my teachers there is this big comic nut, and Lucky. he did this uh, unpublished interview with Scott McCloud way back in '99, and he let me read that. And I mentioned to him, um, Scott McCloud apologized for reinventing, and he says I hate it when people do that. Uh, and he stopped everybody in the classroom because I brought this up. He stopped everyone in the classroom says, look, here's the story I want to tell you. Uh, the first big movie that Rip Torn was in. Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The first movie Whether that or not we are, we do. <laughs> the first movie, big movie that Rip Torn was in came out and he's finally a name now. And he's at this dinner party at this critic's house. And this critic's fat son comes downstairs and says, um, my dad reviewed your movie. And, uh, my dad thinks that your movie wasn't very good. Like shitty fat kid. And Rip Torn looks him right in the eye and says, fuck you fatty. I spent the money. And so uh, my professor stops the whole classroom to tell us the story and says, anything you make, believe in it. So that when you're done, if somebody says some shitty thing to you, you could say, fuck you, I spent the money. I'm done. Yeah. I did the thing. Whoops. I, I, uh, you didn't like it. It's very specifically your problem. Yeah. And it doesn't affect me. Yeah. And it was a huge lesson. And so just that is like... one of the hardest things. But it, but it really, yeah. if you think about it, it harkens back <clears throat> to the... The, the, the core lesson that you learn from successful people, which is it is not how you succeed, it's how you fail. Yeah. And, and it is all about your reaction to failure, whether you're going to be a success in life or not. It really is. And, 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 I'm not, and I know that's a slightly different issue because in this case you're not even acknowledging necessarily that it was failure. But what I mean is you never want to dive in like he did with reinventing in that example. Yeah. And dive in and say, yes, that was a piece of shit. Yes, I fucked that up. And what does yeah. it say to, like, I'm sitting in the audience, I loved that book, right. and he apologizes, it's, it's like, ow, what does that say to me? Yeah. I thought it was great. Right. Uh, there's a Craig Ferguson quote that says, if you believe in what you did, and you did the best that you could at the time, you're bulletproof. Yeah. Nobody can screw with you. If you believed in the thing that you did, and you honestly did the best that you could, nobody could say anything to touch you. Yeah. Because if, 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 you, if you shit the bed, if it was awful, you were taking a chance and it didn't work out, whack. Uh, and if you thought you did good and somebody else says, that was awful, I couldn't stand that, well, sucks for you because I liked making it. Eat it. Uh, so that was just a huge lesson for me. Uh, about drawing, um, when I quit arts, I, I graduated with a degree in English for writing and uh, a minor in percussion. Uh, because while I was in school, I was also thinking maybe I want to... Uh, the most heavy, the most metal drumming there is, is marching percussion. And I discovered that late my senior year of high school, and I marched all through uh, my four years at ACU. And it's just like, how do you be louder? How do you play faster? How do you put more notes into there? And it's very, very demanding music, but it's in basically a symphonic setting. So you can have a literal symphony of battery percussion, which is just beautiful to me. And uh, just, I made the decision, it's like I could go on and be what's called an assistant band director and teach high school drum lines, or I could make comics, Megan and I talked about it a lot, and it's like, okay, yeah, making comics is where it's at, so 
I'll I'll just play drums whenever I get the chance later, and I'll make comics. Um, what kind of things were you writing though in college when you were working on that degree? Like, were you writing any prose fiction? Or yeah, it yeah. was it was all prose. Yeah, yeah, it that's was, what we did. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I wrote. Anymore. That's what yeah. you do in college. Oh yeah. My senior year of high school, I wrote a novel which will never see the light of day, and no one will ever get to read it. Amen. I did that. Yeah, because yeah, it is just a <laughs> piece of shit. But uh, I finished. Like yeah, I wrote that's... a novel that is somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 pages, uh, and whenever I talk smack about writers, uh, they're like, "Well, actually, it's not that easy." Yes, it is that easy. As somebody who does what you did, it's it's you have an idea, you write it down, you go back and you cut out all the junk, and then you're done. That's a magic trick. So calm down. Um, so I wrote uh, I wrote a lot of poetry because I had to take poetry classes. Uh, I wrote rhyming poetry about finding a, a spider in the bathtub and all my classmates wrote serious poems about serious things because they're all 20 year olds in college uh so uh my contemporaries for except for a few exceptions most of my contemporaries did not like me in my poetry <laughs> classes i wrote short stories uh i wrote they're mostly light-hearted silly stories except for one was a very serious dark and dour uh true crime story and that was written as kind of a fuck you to all my classmates. It's basically a novelette. It's something like 20,000 words, 21,000 words. Um, because everybody's critique was like, I wish you went into more detail about this. I wish you told us more about that. So I wrote a story that told you everything. And just said, just just brought this brick of papers that everybody has to take one. Just go slam. Mm, there it is. Right. It's yours. <laughs> you have to read this now. Right. Uh, so I wrote, I wrote a lot of that in college and I went back and, uh, like 10 years later and reread and with just a little bit of tweaking, a lot of those stories hold up as because they weren't written to be the Magna Carta. They were just sure. goofy, fun mm-hmm. little stories. Sure. Uh, and that was, uh, huge for me because like when it comes time to write comics now, it's like, oh, this is the easy part. Yeah. Uh, the writing, because so much, I, I cheat. So much time spent drawing is spent doing all of the all of the pre-writing, all mm-hmm. the nonsense in your head. Uh, this character sounds fun. Here's an idea for a really cool scene. So when the time comes to actually sit down and write, it's been thought to death. So it's just turn on the music and just go on the keyboard until uh, it's dinner time and I need to cook. Uh, and so I've also got this small stable of trusted friends that I can go to. It's like, here's my story. Is this stupid or is there something here? Right. Uh, so honest friends, yeah. which is hard to find. Yeah, um, so I I got the degree in English, and then I dropped out of school halfway through the graphic design degree. And in the summer after I dropped out, just that summer, I did more drawing and more graphic designing than I had done in the previous two years. Uh, so uh, for those of you listening at home, this is the drum I will beat forever. And whenever I teach a cartooning class, here's how you get better at drawing: uh, draw all the time. Finish. It doesn't matter what you define as being finished is. Just have a definition inside of your mind. Finished looks like this. For me, it's fully inked with gray markers on top. So finish your drawings. Not all of them, but pick drawings and finish. Uh, And then draw from life. And uh, something that they said in art school, never draw from photographs. Don't look at magazines. Don't look at a photograph of anything. Draw from life. That's (laughs) bullshit. They're lying to you. Photographs count. Photographs are great. Take pictures of everything. Draw all the time. Draw from life. And whatever it is you do, finish. 
what made me better at making comics was making comic pages. It is, uh, you, you wouldn't think it's different than just sketching in your sketch pad, but for some reason, putting all the panels on one page and then inking them and then lettering them is, uh, is night and day compared to just sketching in your pad. So, uh, sitting down and forcing myself to make finished single pages at a time, uh, like you could, you could look at my first hundred pages, which I forgot to bring because Jordan wants my first hundred pages. I, oh, I, that I forgot to bring that book, mm. man. It's on my it's shelf. It's going to happen eventually. It has your name on it tonight. Did <laughs> I put it in here by accident? No, no, no. I'm sorry, Jordan. I love That's you, man. Fine. It'll happen. Uh, but if you look at my first 200 pages, like it's it's this weird flip book. You can just kind of flip and watch the suck kind of disappear over the course of nice. two and a half years. Yeah, and then these is your, your basically diary comics? Yeah, these were my journal comics. Uh, journal comics are great. There's a reason that almost every artist starts doing them. Because most of the writing is done for you. You just kind of curate real life and pick the thing that you... pick. A thing that you want to tell and then just tell that story. And it forces you to draw from life. What do I look like when I'm sitting in a chair? I don't know. I'll have to take a picture of it and find out and really study what my posture looks like. And it forces you to make the decisions that you didn't have to make before. Like, uh, this this needs to look like that person, but how do I make it look like that person and still read as a character and not look like a beautiful graphite drawing? Which, for the record, none of my graphite drawings were beautiful. I, I barely made those grades. Right. I hope I answered your question because I talked for an hour. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's how, so, does that bring to today? So well, I mean, you have. I mean, yeah, we're just working through. But yeah, the I I've read the second volume because I, I found it at a used book sale yeah. uh, and knew your name. Oh, Jordan, uh, you beautiful man! Like, let me tell you, that's one of the most flattering things in the world is when Jordan Alseka came up to my table and said, "Hey, ma'am." I know you, and like pulls out volume two of my of my journal comic and said, "I I found this at a used bookstore." That's crazy. That's <laughs> ridiculous that that happened. That's that's like really because only thirty of those were ever made. That they, they got scattered. <laughs> it's somehow. the Gabriel Bond Fabio Moon. Yeah, Gabe Dunstan version. Yeah, somebody fa- and like uh, uh, volume two of my journal comic. Like the art is still pretty raw, but like I picked up and read one of those recently, and my stories hold up. I was like, huh, these are kind of cute and funny. Wow, I don't suck. This is nice. Right? No, they you got some some nice, basically like mini comic link stuff in there. Some of yeah. which made me a little weepy. I'm not gonna lie. Huh, oh um, yeah, the story of my dead dog is. Yeah, oh god, I hate dead dog stories. Oh man, I I got the I got the greatest compliment in the world from that dead dead dog story. Um, I was at Heroes Con, it was my first time tabling, and it was a mini-comic on my table. And there's this guy, uh, uh, his name is Shannon, and he's one of the greatest people I've ever met in the world. Uh, and he's talking to the guys next to me who made a Talking Dogs journey kind of book, and it's, it's beautifully done, it's called Red Moon, look it up. Uh, and he just out of the side of his eye sees a mini-comic with a dog on the cover, and he's an animal lover, he's like, okay, I'm gonna pick this up. And before he does, I'm like, hold on, man, read the back. It's a sad story. He's like, I, 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 it's got a dog on it, and it's only three bucks. I'm going to find out. So he buys my mini comic, and I see him two hours later, and God bless him. He's this grown man. Uh, I, I think he's a judge or something. Like he's, he's got some big-time job. He's a grown, grown man, and he comes back with his glasses off, and he's just puffy, Aww. and he's still wiping tears. And he says, I've only ever cried at two comics in my life, and that was one of them. That was incredible. Wow. And he bought one of everything on my table. Wow. Yeah, since then, he has backed every one of my Kickstarters for, like, the maximum. That's the kind of story 
You can put in your back pocket yeah. and forever know that you can move people. Yeah, so th- you're absolutely right because, like, I write down little stuff like that, and and when the dark times get dark and yeah. I get depressed and that happens, I remember the times where this guy, Shannon, who didn't know me from Adam, right. has no reason to puff me up, will, like, came up to me at this past Heroes Con and said, look, I missed my opportunity to get my favorite original pages from book one and that's not going to happen again do you have your originals for book two and he went through and picked out four pages uh which almost nobody does. diary book two or no no from purgatory pub he's just like i'm I'm not going to miss my opportunity and i need these pages Mm -hmm. and and shannon alone god bless him is the only reason i made my money back on this past heroes i had him and one other guy buy one copy of my book, and that's all I did for the whole three day show. Uh, so God, the life is tough. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. So the when stuff like life. that happens, it's just in my back pocket. It's like you know what? I made Shannon cry. Right. Which doesn't sound like. <laughs> Do you guys? Doesn't sound nice. We've heard the story. We get the point. Yeah, yeah, because if anybody ever meets this guy, he's just the sweetest man you'll ever meet. So Gabe made him cry. That's not necessarily out of context. That sounds awful. It does. That was the question I was going to ask, though, is when did you get to the point where you were able to do it full-time and support yourself doing all creator-owned projects? Uh, full disclosure, if uh, I wasn't married to a nurse, I'd be living in a van right now. Yeah. Like, she laughs. She's like, no, you wouldn't. And she's very sweet, <laughs> and maybe maybe I wouldn't. But, like, uh, I would be living in, in uh, a group house in Mission Valley where the rent is really cheap. Uh, I, I would spend six months out of the year uh, in a van going from con to con selling books and living out of that van. Like, I have a book that is how to live out of a van. <laughs> well, you But you've done um, professional work in art as well that has made yeah. some money, right? Like board yeah. games and stuff? I've, I uh, have illustrated for um, comics, kids' books, and board games, and um, most of the people who approach me uh, for, like, hey, I'd like to hire you, offer me, like, a tenth of what the going rate should be. Like, offer me a tenth of what a living rate, living wage, a living wage would be. Why? Because nobody... Nobody respects art. Yeah, almost everybody's a first-timer. They're like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this card game, and I'm going to totally hire an illustrator, and I've got a thousand dollars. And they don't understand. It's like, you're basically hiring a plumber to redo your bathroom. You're hiring a plumber to turn your half bath into a full bath. Right. Okay? If you've got the money to do that, mm-hmm. you've got the money to hire an illustrator. Uh, but unless you do, you, you don't. So they'll right. come to me and be like, here's what I want and they describe $10,000 worth of work. And in my head, I'm like, oh, cool. I've got this third of my year locked down. This is going to be great. Uh, and I've got $2,000 for the whole job. No, screw you, buddy. You just you just told me three months. This will take me three months of work, ten hours a day, five days a week, uh, and you're gonna give me a thousand dollars for it. No, back off. Not happening. Not it's happening. That as a writer, I've tried <laughs> to be very upfront about that because I mean I'm working a part time job to fund yeah. the stuff, and so I'm always every time I send an email off or, or potential money, here's where I'm at. Here, what is your page rate? Here's my budget because I don't want it to be like I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, when when you're upfront, it's not a problem. When you're up front and saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm broke as hell. This is just a thing I want to do. This is the best I could. I, I know this is not the going rate. It's just the best that I've got. If you're up front and somebody picks you up on it, absolutely go for it. Uh, your artist is, I want to say, Romanian? Uh, Romanian, yeah. He's based in Germany now, but yeah, right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Just, um, like, not to put too fine a point on it, but there's a reason. Like, they, 
people are discovering they can find Romania for some reason Romania is like a big deal lots of artists in Romania will work for Wicked Sheep Romanians and South Americans uh, Colombians especially because the exchange rate is good they don't need as much money there so there you go like lots of people are getting art from India for instance uh, so when they come to like an American who's living in America uh, it's like nope you gotta pay me like your plumber it's like oh well Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Sticker shock. I'm not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough game. Yeah. So, like, my wife is a nurse. Uh, this is actually, this is this is something that happened recently. Sure. Um, I would I would be constantly trying to get uh, freelance work because uh, she would make enough to pay our bills, and that's about it. So anything I make would be, that's where our, that's where our savings comes from. Mm-hmm. And she recently got a promotion to middle management, and she had this little talk with me where she's like, we don't have to worry about money anymore. Just make your books now. And I was like, baby, nobody's really picking these up. Nobody's buying these. I'm thinking, because when we first got married, I said, oh, I was, we got married when I was 21. Mm-hmm. I started making comics when I was 24. And I said, 10 years from now, if I haven't made progress, and I made a list of what prog- quote unquote progress looks Same like. Same way you said what a finished art looks like yeah. in your head. Yeah. Uh, if I haven't made this kind of progress, then I'm just going to stop, say I took my shot, and do something else. Mm-hmm. And she's talking to me. She's like, I don't think you should look at it that way anymore because I like what you do. I think that this is important. And like she talked to me about like all those little books that you find hidden in the back of the comic shop. Yeah. You're going to be... Yeah, she's like, you're going to be that guy to somebody. At the very least. Exactly. To somebody someday, you're going to be that guy, and I think it's important you just keep making your books. That's awesome. Uh, and I I had like uh, a bad convention experience. I went to a children's book illustrator conference, which was just uh, even more demoralizing. It was just horrifying that experience. Why? Uh, I'll tell you in just a second. It was I, I I will say that I met lovely people. I met wonder wonderful people, but it just broke my heart. Uh, and so I'm 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 at just the bottom trough, the second worst depression I've ever had in my life. Sure. And I'm talking to my wife, and she's just like, "You need to find a way to rally and keep doing this stuff because I think what you're doing is important." And she's she's one of those people who I said, "Baby, I'm thinking about quitting." If she was, she she's the kind of person who'd be like, "Yeah, good." If it was a good idea, she'd tell me it was a good idea. This isn't working out. You need to stop. And so for her to be like, no, keep going. I believe in you. is huge. Because this woman will, has has never and will never mince words with me. Uh, which is literally the, reason, the reason why we got married. Um, Interesting. When we were first dating, it was very fresh. I was bellyaching about some nonsense. And it was stupid. I was angry about nothing. And she, it's like our relationship is very fresh and very new. And she let me know in a very nice way, but black and white, you need to get over this right now. You're being ridiculous. Because you're being stupid. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, didn't use those words, but just let me know and didn't mince words. And that was the, it's like, oh, I found somebody who will grab me by the hair and pull me out of my own asshole. I need that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'll become a horrible human being. Uh, so like yeah, She's that been was pulling you out of the fire since 1981. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I've not been alive that long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's my wife. That's who I married. And so like I changed. Uh, I said I'm thinking about changing my my little in air quotes company to uh, change the name to Coffee and Hate. And I thought she was going to be like, that's a silly, stupid idea. But she's like, no, that's perfect. You have to do that. (laughs) Because that's exactly who you are. Because I'm getting, as I get older, like, I'm getting angrier. And she's getting angrier. 
at, at this son of a bitch business I decided to get into. She's like, that's perfect. I drew up the logo. She's like, yes, that's you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to back up a little bit. I was at, I, I'm making kids books as well. I've self-published two kids books and I'm going to self-publish more. Uh, with luck, I'll get actual publishers, but we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm colorblind. That's that's a thing. It's a big deal. It's one of the reasons I went into comics, because it's like, sweet, black and white line art, and if it gets colored, somebody else does that, and I don't have to worry. Right. Uh, kids' books, is it's much more painterly. The colors are a sure, big deal. Sure. So I, uh, it took me $300 to go to this conference in Charlotte. Like, I'm not in some big city. I didn't go to New York City. I just went to Charlotte <laughs> for the local chapter conference, and it I spent my bottom dollar to get there right and i brought copies of my portfolio and a book dummy of a kid's book about cats that i was gonna make and i get there's i thought it was gonna be like a job fair it's not there's one art director there and he's there to give out advice and let me go ahead and tell you uh boys and girls at home every bit of advice almost every bit of advice that you get from anybody is garbage because the horrible horrible thing that nobody will say to you is uh your work and the arts at all straight up is a lottery uh, when I heard that as a kid, it's like, I don't want to win the lottery and become a superstar. I just want to be a working illustrator. Yeah. Who gets to work is completely random. There's very little you can do. There's people who can what? draw circles around me and can't get work. And there's people who can't draw at all. And like Mo Willems and they put out, uh, Nuffle Bunny and they're winning the freaking Caldecott. So the advice that you get, the advice that I can get from this guy is, is next to worthless. Uh, the best advice he can give me is how he personally hires. So I can tailor my material right. to just the guy. He won't look at my portfolio because unbeknownst to me, I had to drop an extra 50 bucks to have my portfolio reviewed by this one guy. And I don't have the 50 bucks. I yeah. spent my last yeah. dime just to be in the room. So this thing happens. There's this anonymous thing where... They put an illustration on an overhead projector, and he critiques the anonymous illustration. So one of mine went up there, and he's like, all right, look, the oh, sky uh-uh. in this one is blue. The grass in this one is green. It's like you pulled the blue and the green out of a crayon box, okay? Use your eyes. Color has so much more nuance oh. to it. Look at these shadows. These shadows are just dark gray on oh. the ground. Use your eyes, y'all. Observe. Yeah, oh, so I God. hear that, and I sit down with him. I'm like, okay, oh, so God. I'm colorblind. My eyes literally lie to me every day. The sky is blue. <laughs> the grass is green. This is the best I could do. And his like the reaction you're having right now is the same one he did. His eyes got big, and just he all the color so drained from his face. And he's like, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. So in music, oh. in music, you can be deaf and still compose because there's a lot of art and a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of math and a lot of patterns uh, to music. And you can, you can reduce music theory uh, to equations. Can you do that with color theory? No. no. Like, I'm asking this guy, can you do that with color theory? Do you know any colorblind workarounds? And he's like, no, you can't. It is so nuanced. There's well, no can't way you be, it. can't you be a line art guy and have someone else do color? Uh, Isn't that the perfect workaround? That is the question, and uh, that's something that I'm kind of doing right now. There's, I, I could tell you off microphone, but there's some behind-the-scenes stuff going on right now where I'm testing that hypothesis. Cool. Uh, but I, I can't talk about it just No, now. that's understandable. Fair enough, fair enough. That's understandable. But yeah, that's so like, the, guy, the only guy in the room who could possibly give me a job says my colors are not good enough to get the work and 
will never be good enough to get the work. And I spent my last dime to hear to it. hear that. So yeah, that was one of the most demoralizing weekends. Like there's other stuff that happened, but it was. Just but well, color isn't going to be your thing. I mean, that's fine. You know, doesn't it seem like that's fine? I don't know. Jordan. Heck yeah. I don't know what just my phone. It, that was crazy. That, that actually helped. It, 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 it was a, <laughs> a total shift. shift. It was a total. Yeah. Shift. Yeah. <laughs> Gabe just tells the story about getting crushed emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. That's my life, sir. It's yeah. my life. Uh, well, let's talk about the successes. At least, <laughs> what I would. We talked a lot about Purgatory Pub last time you were here, talking about book two. But now you're working on book three, and I, you I'm know, how how is three. that going? Uh, so far, slowly, but like uh, book one and two, I didn't start until March, and this one I started uh, in January. So hopefully, it'll be done in a year. Okay. Um, how long will the other ones take? <sighs> They should have. The first one took a year. The second one took two years because halfway through I went broke and I needed mm-hmm. a day job. Yeah, yeah. And the day job I got was ten hours a day, five mm-hmm. days a week. Good. That'll burn you out. Yeah, oh, I it right. was. It, yeah. I, I was good and burnt. Like I, I would come home and it was a weird experience because I'm the stay at home dad. I stay home. I, I do the dishes. I cook mm-hmm. the dinners, uh, at least half of them. And so it was weird because I would come home from work and dinner is ready for me. And how, how wonderful that is. But, like, I would come home from work and fall asleep on the couch and then wake up and eat Do dinner and then fall asleep on the couch again. And then wake up, mm. put my daughter to bed, uh, and Megan and I would go to bed and just kind of sit up for a minute and then fall asleep. Yeah. And that was every day. So book two took two years because that happened halfway mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this one takes only one. Uh, but, uh, what I've decided to do is, um, what I'm good at is finishing. Just, I'm going to do this yeah. thing and then I do it and then I finish. And you got a strong work ethic. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, so just focus on that. And also like, I've got this list of art projects I've always wanted to do like animated shorts and whatnot. And so this year I'm just kind of indulging in my own little creative ADD. So, uh, well, that makes a million times uh, uh, that sentence is messed up. That makes tons of sense because uh, you know, daycare is super expensive, yeah. Um, and being a stay at home parent is perfect if you have a breadwinner, yeah, is perfect for being an artist, right? Yeah, uh, it's... especially once they get a little older so that they can give you a little space and exactly time to now that she's school age, it's great because I've got uh, like six hours in the middle of a day where it's, it's just me on my own. Uh, Megan's a nurse, so her schedule is um, strange. She'll work three nights, and then she'll be off. So we'll have lots of just days together nice. where we could just mm-hmm. hang out, and it's wonderful, and it's, it's a lot of fun. That's and that's what life's about. I mean, you know, people yeah. talk work-life balance. It's like you've achieved an odd but workable version. Yeah. So, and we did the math. Unless I was working 10 hours a day, five days a week, any job that I could get uh, won't pay enough to cover the daycare plus you know, uh, like cover daycare and then bring more into the household. Mm. And that's for, for a separate list of demoralizing reasons. Like I've got a four year degree, I've got a graphic design portfolio and I graduated December, 2008. Like it crashed, everything fell apart. Everybody stopped hiring. And now that they are hiring again, they're not looking for me. They're looking for the new grad. They're not looking for the guy who's been home with his daughter for the past six years. They want somebody who's hungry and needs a job. And when I was hungry and needed a job, they weren't hiring me. They were hiring the new grad. So the best I could do was uh, just 25 cents above minimum wage at uh, a screen printing workshop, which is a literal sweatshop. It's, it's, 
It's no air conditioning and two industrial sized ovens. That's ridiculous. Dude, take I, your talent and put it there. Well, you're very sweet for saying that. No, for the record, I, I, I do want to mention uh, if the job was less hours and it paid more, I'd have never wanted to leave. Yeah. Because um, success was measurable, which I'd right. never had that you before. love, you like to finish, right? Yeah. And every time I show up to work, uh, in the morning, hey, what are we doing? You see these 2,000 shirts? We're going to print the front side and the back side. And then at the end of the day, we printed the shirts. Right. Every hour I spend at work, I'm actually getting paid for. I'm not hoping to get paid. I'm actually getting paid. Mm-hmm. And last but m- certainly not least, I loved everybody that I worked with. The people who are working at that screen printer were marvelous. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved all of my coworkers. I loved my bosses. I was so happy to be there. And I was also just grateful that I had a job during the time mm-hmm. that I needed one. If it paid enough, and if it gave me enough downtime to where I could still make comics, I'd have never left. Right. But what, what killed me was just the best I could do is a job that pays 25 cents above minimum wage. Nobody was hiring me. Uh, and, and, and just that was the best I'll ever be able to do. So, like, I'm listening to a lot of Henry Rollins right now because Henry Rollins is like, if... if this will be over in 15 minutes, and as soon as it's over, I'm back to a minimum wage job because that's the guy that I am. It's like, ah, crap. I'm, I'm a much less cool version of Henry Rollins. <laughs> I'm a much fatter, much less cool version of the singer from Black Flag. See, I totally understand what it's like to have an or- un- unorthodox lifestyle like that because I just got out of school. I have a degree, but because I'm on Medicaid in order to pay for my caregivers, I can't get a full-time job because I would lose it then. So yeah. I have to do, you know... Uh, but it gives me a lot of time to write now, and so I can work on my uh, scripts there, and then you know do some freelance work, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, and most important yeah. of all, work on the site. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right site. No, I, I know that similar thing where I had a job that was minimum wage, but it was in it was like a second job alongside a, a better paying job where I was going to use game store, and similarly. The only reason I, I lost the job is because they closed down, and it's because no one was ever there, so I just got to write for six hours, and I was the only employee. It was a great job in the it-lets-me-do-what-I-want side of things, yeah. but it was not on the pay side, and that's a trick. Something else that helped me out was um, Kevin Smith. Like, uh, mm-hmm. um, I was in another low point. I, I was doing this book signing uh, at, a, at a comic shop, and just nobody showed up. And it was the 20th anniversary of Clerk, so I'm listening to Kevin Smith read from his diary, and he told a story that I hadn't heard before. It's the 20 hours after Clerks showed on a big screen for the first time. Nobody's in that room but him, the people who were in it, and one old guy with glasses. And that's <laughs> it. And it turns out the old guy with glasses was something like a film scout who moved the film along. But he wrote in, the, in just the middle of his bereavement, just like I, I went into debt for this, uh, he wrote, I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to get a second job. I'm going to pay down this debt. And once... This debt goes away. I'm going to get another credit card and make another movie. Yeah. Because I liked who I was when I was doing it. Yeah. And, wow. Yeah. And to realize, and like listening to him, he said, uh, if all of this goes away, I'm going back to that quick stop. Like working there was great. It's just me and my electric typewriter and a lot of downtime. Every now and then I have to take somebody's money, but I could just sit there and write. And I liked my bosses and I was paid five bucks under the table and that was fine. Yeah, uh, and so hearing those things just kind of let me know. Oh, it's okay to be the loser that I've become. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it was directly aimed for your ears. I mean, I'm glad that yeah. he's out there talking about this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Because it's very important. I mean, there's a, there's so many people, and that the, there's two ways to be a happy, a happy, productive artist in my mind, and then there's another way to just be a miserable human being in general. 
Um, but the two ways to be happy I'm going to be both of those. <laughs> <laughs> the way the two ways to be the happy productive artist or the, or at least somewhat fulfilled in some ways. You're at least qualified as that, right? Yeah. Um, is you either you have a job and you do your and it gives you the ability to then do your art. Um, on the side and and then you know hopefully maybe one day have that become your job or, or if not at least go somewhere with that art or b you go somewhere you, you do your art full-time and you're one of the oh the point oh oh one percent in the world that gets to do their art and make millions of dollars at it you yeah. know what i mean that's the very very small but most people out there struggling with their art are people who are working a full-time job or at least a very demanding job so that they can then do what they yeah. love. And then there's the third group of people that just give in to the machine and say, fuck my art, it doesn't make any money, it's not making me happy because I'm so miserable by my job, I'm just going to try to make as much money as I can. Yeah. You know. And so those are really like the three, when I look at it, the three categories. And so right now I'm in the uh, mode that I think a lot of people are in when you still have faith and you still have hope and you stay in the game and you say, I am going to work this full-time job and... I'm going to take a portion of the money that I make and my free time and try to build something. Yeah. You know, try to make something great. Yeah. And that's and that's I mean, uh, uh, that's a great thing. I mean, you know what I mean. I'm I'm really happy about that. That's where Kevin Smith was in that story. I find that story uplifting. I mean, you know, in ways. Yeah, no, it's hugely uplifting because like it, uh, it, it could there there for the guy that he was for 22, 24 year old Kevin Smith. Uh, there is no greater failure. He put everything he had on the line. He sold all of his valuable comics, and he went into twenty seven thousand dollars of debt, which at at nineteen ninety four for a minimum wage worker that's huge. Yeah. Uh, there is no bigger failure. He did that for a movie that his mom called a piece of garbage, uh, and and it just certainly that was it. it certainly broke all the rules too. So it would yeah. be really hard. To show that to somebody and say, look what I made and have them, until he changed the paradigm, yeah. to say that that had any merit or any worth. It's just so, a bunch of yeah. dudes hanging out at a quick stop talking yeah. about a bunch of bullshit to somebody. Yeah. But unfortunately, it hit us, it struck a nerve and it resonated and it created a whole new genre of shit. Yeah. But to anybody, he's got a piece of junk, hour and a half of garbage. The, the guy who wrote that diary entry uh, was writing about the biggest failure that he could have ever made in his life. And that guy said, I liked who I was when I was making this. As soon as I can, I'm going to do it again. Right. That's huge. Yes. Uh, Bobcat it goes back to what I said about how you fail. Yeah. Bobcat Goldthwait, uh, stand-up comic. He's in the Police Academy movies. He's, ah! That guy. Yes. <laughs> I was listening to him on Joe Rogan, and he talked about the day that he stopped being that guy. He came out on stage, and just he opened up with just like, look, I don't want to I don't want to make that noise anymore. I'm sorry. I have jokes that I tell, and they were in that guy's voice, but I'm just going to talk to you regular and tell you my jokes, and if you don't want to hear it right. without that character, there's the door. And he said half the people left. Uh, and he said, but half of them stayed. And I told him my jokes. And... Um, and he talked about how he has this small audience now. He's like, I make movies, and I direct TV, and I do all this stuff. And whenever I'm making one of my small movies, I have just enough people see them to where I get my money back, and I can make another one. Uh, the lesson at the end of the day is life's not about being happy. Quit chasing happiness. Because chasing happiness is me making that voice until I die. Uh, chase fulfillment. Life isn't about being happy. It's about being fulfilled. And that's the thing that you should be striving for. And something that I thought Happiness about... Happiness is fleeting. And, yeah. You know, joy is yeah. something else. 
Uh, something that I was thinking about was listening to Doug Tenable talk about his financial straits while he was making comics. They were living month to month, just like every, at the end of every month, his wife was like, okay, so what Hail Mary is going to come through for us so that we and our four kids don't go under, uh, during the years that he was putting out a graphic novel a year. Uh, and what I discovered was like, um, the idea of art is you're trying to make a contribution to the people around you, right? Yeah. And the way to make the contribution is to leave behind a body of work because yeah. because he's got so many books, I can sit down and read them, and when you take it in as a body of work, you're like, oh, there's something here. There's definitely a thread that I can pull out of this guy. Whereas, like, you get the band that puts out one album and they're done. Well, it's nice that we have your album, but unless we have like a, a significant body left behind, there's not an exact ethos we could pull out. Like interesting. Well, because two points at least are required to make a line. You yeah. know what I mean? In, in, in order to otherwise you just have a dot. Exactly. You know. Exactly. I mean to break it down to most so, fundamental way. If you're the kind of person who's working your nine to five and then writing. Oh, I just ex- oh sorry, I just yeah. extended it further. And then if you have multiple lines, yeah. you have a shape. <laughs> you know though, you're a horrible human being. You're just the worst person in this world. <laughs> If you're one of those people who's working a nine to five and just making your artistic contributions when you can, that's fine. Because the the point is, the body of work you leave behind. If you're creating a body of work, then you're making a real contribution that somebody will pick up. There's this. Uh, I'm collecting failure stories now because everybody's got success stories and they're all bullshit. Because every single one of them is basically telling you how they won the lottery. So I'm collecting failure stories. Because there's so much more you learn from the failures, right? There's this guy. His name is Jonathan Ives. Uh, really hope I'm not getting that name wrong now. <laughs> he wanted to be a composer. So in like the early 1900s, American American classical music is this weird adrift thing. There is no American music in the classical music genre. The very first American music was jazz. Uh, so he's doing these weird avant-garde um, compositions in music school and he can't get a symphony to play any of them. And he makes like this little body of music and nobody plays them. And he quits and he opens up a uh, insurance company. And it's uh, he did such a good job that his insurance company is still a required reading at Harvard Business School. Uh, and he has a heart attack one day. And he recovers and he lights a fire under his ass. I'm fine. I'm going to be a composer now because I'm going to die soon and I can't die without being a composer. So he makes all of this stuff. He gets a conductor and the conductor's going to make a symphony play it and it's going to happen. And the symphony plays and the critics say, what the hell was that? And then they drop him again. And he goes back to being an insurance guy again, has another heart attack, does this final, he's, he's at the end of his life. He's an old man does this final Hail Mary symphony type thing. I don't remember what it was specifically. Uh, Another conductor picks it up, plays it. The critics love it. And they say, do you, you're going to die soon. You're an old man. Uh, Are you going to make more before you die? He's like, probably not because I'm 84 now, but here's this huge body of work that I did over the course of my life that nobody ever heard of or saw. And it dated back to 1904. And so what happened was the taste of, of the critics caught up with him finally wow. at the end of his life. And so they look back and they say Jonathan Ives was the first distinctly American composer of what we call classical music. And because he had a body of work at the end of his life, he made a huge impact. And he was a working stiff. 
he he That's worked amazing. his insurance job nine to five it's to the like, day he died. It's like if, um, I'll use your work as an example. It's like as if you make the four purgatory pubs. Let's say you make a, pre- a prequel, a, 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 an ending, <laughs> uh, a uh, you know a, 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 <coughs> another sequel series. Um, you do your diary comics. You do your art book. Maybe another art book. And then one day you do a graphic novel and it blows the fuck up. And then yeah. you die. And then I die. <laughs> <laughs> and then people go back and they're like, holy shit, dude. Look at this perk pug shit. This shit's yeah. hotness. And then there's all the stories. Like, that's the thing. It's amazing. It must have felt great when you had your first book and you're like, this will live on. And, sorry. Yeah, no, it, it, it was. It was. And then it was very demoralizing when nobody would buy it. <laughs> but but uh, whatever. Maybe they will someday. Um, very, Larry, very possible. There's all those stories of all those painters, like Van Gogh, for right, instance. Right. Van Gogh never totally sold, unappreciated. Never sold a painting, and then he died, and now everybody loves him to death. Right, right. It's, it's uh, terrible. Oh, it's, he was a genius right out the gate. Yeah. It's and the sadness. Of also, life. Uh, for if you're list, if you're listening to this, you'd be like, oh, these these young guys. I'm too old. Blah, blah, blah. Listen to them. They're still full of hope. Uh, Van Gogh didn't start painting until he was like 41. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Ives didn't compose the thing that was picked up until he was in the 70s or 80s. Um, The Colonel Sanders, he just, uh, he he had one of those fill-up gas stations that he also served food out of. That was his whole life. And he just added MSG to it. And Kentucky Fried Chicken was born. Uh, like, he, he created a pressure cooker so he could fry the chicken faster. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, uh, I-40 ripped through where he was when he was 70 years old. Like, he, the thing he did his whole life ended. Uh, and nobody wanted his idea for a uh, restaurant chain until he was 70 years old. And it was the very last-ditch, last Hail Mary guy who picked him up. Uh, he was 70. He was still Interesting. trying. Uh, listening to Henry Rollins, like, uh, I heard this thing, the founding fathers of the United States have been deified, and, uh, a lot of people think that that shouldn't be the case, and I disagree, because what we had was, it's very lucky, the United States is, is the greatest lottery winner in the history of the world, because what we had was a collection of highly educated, highly capable men and women, who, no matter what time period they were born into, would have become significant these were capable people who no matter what situation they would have been in would have achieved something and luckily we had all of them and they achieved a nation henry rollins is somebody that i'm dipping deep into because even if he stayed a minimum wage worker his whole life that guy would have made something because he's still working out all the time he still wakes up on fire every day to just write whatever thought is in his head uh, and the idea is like, okay, I'm probably never going to pick up commercially. I need to be that guy. I need to be the Henry Rollins that never got into Black Flag and just make a body of work and leave behind something mm. when I'm dead. Right. Uh, go, uh, go ahead. Well, let's talk about some of those things. Uh, the <laughs> offshoots, because like I said, we talk about Purgatory a lot. Uh, there's been a few other things. We'll, been... we'll talk about it again. I've got, I'll have two more books to yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, you'll be back. Uh, but the first thing, cause there's a, there's been a lot, and I think this year you've got a lot of little projects. But one a thing I want to bring up, uh, and I, I don't want to call it a failure. Maybe you'll call it a failure. I thought it was cool, and then it just stopped. Was uh, DoodleCard.net? Oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that you liked it. That was that was one of my many failures for 2016. <laughs> it was a fun little site. I, well, I I was curious what went on there. I made a lot of okay. So Sketch Wallet came out, and it's it's a wallet with a sketchbook, so you can have a sketchbook with you wherever you go. And yeah. I thought, wow, that's really cool. I want that. But I draw very large sketchbooks, so I made I cut down a lot of my drawing paper 
to that size to see if I could draw that small. So I drew, and then I started coloring uh, with Copic markers to kind of try and train myself into, you know, if I limit my palette, maybe I can color effectively. Uh, and I did a lot of them and said, hey, you know what, maybe I should make this a thing. And then I went back and forth on it, and then I finally made a website called doodlecard.com where I was going to put one up and they would be for sale because I would draw these random little little drawings and then just make up a silly sentence behind them like uh, uh, Salador the space slug has heard of salt for the first time and it's a slug with giant bug eyes looking freaked out. Uh, and I thought it was cute and clever and then I thought, yeah, but is that because I'm up my own ass? Is this a good <laughs> idea? I don't know. When I finally made a website and started posting them, that was the moment that I realized I actually don't want to draw these anymore. Okay, that I kind <laughs> that of could have that, you know, that could have blown up. That it, it could have been the so. next freaking Instagram. You don't know. I mean, the thing about Instagram, right? Think about. Do you realize that Instagram was literally just Facebook, but with a couple different lenses for photos? That yeah. was it. That was but it. they just tinted photos. That's all Instagram was. That's all it and was. And it went for billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could have been, a Doodle Card could have been the next thing. Do people draw these little cutesy little pictures? You could have then had, like, if it got started blowing up, you could have had a developer come in and put, like, a, some tools so you can actually draw them online and people make these little Doodle Cards and then you can export them to your Facebook page. I mean, you could, it could have... It could have blown, you know. What, what's what's terrible about all of this is I'm I'm starting to draw those again, <laughs> dude. I'm saying <laughs> it's it's just I I you, you, what you need to do is be a curated place. I'm not not trying to yeah. be too businessy, but you need to be a curated place for yours to be there and other people's. Well, it's because yeah. at it's, that point it it be, could blow. The second you make something that you have to do, it it shifts. It's what happened. That's it's true. Because what I decided was like, it's just a tiny little drawing. I'll just force myself to draw one every day. Just one every day, tiny little thing. And uh, it takes a little bit of time because I would draw it <laughs> and then ink it and then color it. And then it's just like, I don't I don't want to anymore. This paper's really small. <laughs> and I'm kind of drawing the same thing over again. And I don't want to anymore. Yeah. And of course, now, like almost a year later, I'm starting to do it again. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's something that I'm going to do again, but right. I don't know if I'll have a dedicated website. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I fine. I was just curious. I, I liked it while it was there Jordan, for a couple weeks. I love you. <laughs> You're the best. And thanks for bringing that up. Because, like, it, until this moment, I. Like, I put up the website, I pushed it a little bit, I updated, and, like, I had 40 updates, and then, uh... It's a lot. It's a lot of work. I noticed, it's like, nobody's really going to this, nobody's really mentioning anything, because, like, I'd look at my stats, and two people a day would come to my website, and now I know the name of one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, nobody's really paying attention, and I don't care anymore. I'm just gonna let this die. And now I have a name and a face for one of the two. (laughs) the guy. I'm pretty sure the other person... That was you. Yeah, yeah, it was him. <laughs> when, when you if when you when you do blow up and you're at San Diego, I'll be the guy in the audience. Do a car. You will. Oh, oh see, Jordan. it's funny because I've been blogging for like just for fun since like senior high school is when I created my first one, and I haven't updated that one in a while now because that was just movie reviews when I didn't know what I was doing, but just for fun. And then, um, then I created another one just to like write about my own life and like disability struggles that kind of thing and just and stories like that and then now you're dry geek and so like when i start when i submit stuff or like i tell people i write and all that they're like yeah i came across your blog and i have no idea which one they're referring oh. to and so like you know uh, yeah i this is kind of a reverse of that but now i'm thinking because i still to this day and it's been like over a decade since i've updated anything i yeah. still get like reviews 
asking when I'm going to continue stories on fanfiction.net. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what I should do, I should go to that profile and just be like, for current works, and just put links to do my it. written do stuff. Do it. Do it. Definitely do it. I wanted to make one little point on the professionalism versus amateurism aspect. Uh, I just heard this really great quote on Fresh Air. Jim Jarmusch was being interviewed about Patterson, the new movie he made with Adam Driver, about a bus driver in uh, New Jersey who's a poet and didn't even know it, and then he knows it one day. Anyway, you're the worst person in the world. I'm doing it to you. This is just for you, man. Anyway, oh, man. so so, um, he said, I consider myself an amateur filmmaker because the origin of the word amateur is from love or something like that, he said, to love of what you do. Um, professional, uh, when you look the definition of that up, it has to do with doing something for work, for business, for to make money. Um, and amateur is about doing stuff uh, for passion. And he goes, and I've really fought... Uh, he learned that from punk rock. He said he's a big Iggy Pop fan. Um, but he said, I really fought to stay an amateur filmmaker, and that's what I consider myself. And he says, no no offense to professionals and people who are doing it for that reason, but it's all about love for me. And so, you know, that, that just, I think that's a really good, you know, cap to, uh, not, not at cap as an ending, but, but a good, you know, it, it does sort of sum up a lot of what we're talking about. You know, it, it is about love of art and... Sure. I don't know. Okay. What if it's about hate? What, well, it's about what if it's the and hate. Because yes. yes. the idea was like, at this point, any creative thing I do is just a middle finger to everybody. It's like, you didn't want it, but I'm making it anyway. <laughs> Suck on this. Have you noticed that... Per- I'm sorry to go back to Perkett Report. Have you yeah. noticed that it's changed? Uh, no. So it's the same. Is it, is it like, I mean, no, your, your I, mentality, I wrote, what you're trying to do with it. I wrote the script for it in 2013. So that's... The whole thing. The whole thing. The whole thing. So was it always a quadrilogy? Uh, no, I was naive enough to think that I could do it all in one year, and I'm a moron. Okay. There's way so too, this script. Way too no, I the whole script. Like, how long was that whole script? Uh, I don't you're know. So did you pour, volumes. you did pure script, and then yeah. you're breaking it to pages? Like, the way I write scripts, I write it, it's formatted the way uh, a stage play is formatted. Okay. Uh, I don't break down in panels and whatnot. I write oh, okay. a stage play, and then I sit down with a pencil and start making lines. Okay, panel break, panel break, panel break. Gotcha. And then do the thumbnails based on where I put those lines. Okay. So, uh, just in my first year of making the book, I stopped for I did the first chapter and it took forever the year was already a quarter gone and I looked at my script and did some quick math and went oh damn it oh oh this is at least four years of work oh I made a mistake yeah <laughs> uh, but it's the most personal story I could possibly tell like it, it has it, it comes from the heart of me personally more so than anything else I'll probably make again for a long time well imagine look at all four of them on the shelf when they're finished well, yeah, the idea is to pull a bone and, and turn it into a brick. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm going to make I'm gonna make an omnibus and hit you up for money again. All right. I'll hit you up for money a fifth time. Uh, and You've had more notes. Yes, I have one, one last thing before we get to the art book, which is theoretically why you're here. <laughs> uh, but... I'm going to listen to myself. <laughs> I've been listening to you talk a lot and seeing your face, because you also have a YouTube vlog series now. I, oh, I do you? I did, yes. Did? Past tense? No, no, I'm doing it. No, it's it. still going. I'm doing it. Um, just what I was doing before I got in the car and came here was cutting together footage. Like I had to update some of my software to so that I could keep on cutting footage together. Oh, okay. Uh, in iMovie, uh, 2016 was in the top three worst years of my life. It was awful. Uh, and um, this guy Kevin Cross, whom I've been following for many years, is a tremendous illustrator. Uh, had a worse year than me. And he documented it. He He's the guy who invented this thing called 100 Days of Making Comics, uh-huh. where for 100 days, at least 30 minutes a day, you drop everything and work on your comic. And you talk about it. 
Uh, so for his season four, 100 Days of Making Comics, he's telling us about his divorce. He's telling us about having to be going from stay-at-home dad to moving away from his family because he can't get work anywhere else. Other, They were in Portland, and he had to move back to Los Angeles to get work. Uh, and, like, um, uh, there's a lot of similarities between me and this guy. He's married. He's the stay-at-home parent. He's got one daughter who's close to the same age as my daughter. She's also just, he like, like she shows up in some of his videos. She's just adorable. Same challenges. Yeah, so, like, his stuff was going on, and I started having nightmares. Like, I had literal, legit nightmares where Megan left me for some reason. Uh, and it's really nice to wake up and realize, oh, that's not, that's not happening. That's not going to happen. Uh, because, um, the way our relationship works, if, if we spend a lot of time together mm. and so we, we love spending time together while we've been here, she's texted me three times. I miss you, which is why you'll see me. I would only pick wow. up my phone for her. So you've seen me pick up my phone yeah. a couple times. And I apologize. Wow. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time together. We talk all the time about everything, so the communication is constant. So you would know way ahead of time if you exactly. were going downhill. Exactly, and um, like we're we're both very much in it for the long haul. So thank God I would wake up and my wife would would usually be next to me unless she was working that night, and just be like, "No, that's not going to happen." And she'll have a conversation with me where she says, "You know what? Screw that ten year deadline. I believe in what you're doing. You should really keep going." Uh, and and a lot I didn't of, know that was a pillow talk scenario. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of uh, where that comes from is because I do I do the dishes, mm-hmm. I, I cook, uh, I don't clean the house as much as I should, but I clean up every now and then. And my big project right now is fixing up the yard that I've let go for so long. So I pull my weight at home, and as long as I'm pulling my weight at home, she's... she's There's no resentment. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, what it comes to is... Um, just in every relationship, are you pulling your weight? Whatever that means to the two of you. And uh, uh, she's, how do I put this? She's better than me, so it really challenges me. Like, that's throwing down the gauntlet. I've got to keep going. So this guy, I, I had one of the worst years of my life. This guy is having a way worse year, and he's showing us. And I thought that was really brave, and I'm watching, because he's also, he's like, I'm... In like one of his first videos, he's like, I'm going to get over this. I'm going to recover. And this video series is me showing you how. Uh, and because he's having a, a much worse year than I was, I thought it would be shitty of me to open my series by saying, I'm going to get over my bad year. So instead, I'm just making a video. He, he inspired me. I'm going to make this series where I'm just going to kind of document uh, what I do this year. Uh, for one, for callous reasons, if I can get people watching, then I have a platform to say, hey, I'm putting something on Kickstarter. And B, just the subtext, what, what I don't really say in the video, what I might say after episode 100 is I, I had a bad year. And this is just documenting me getting back on top and, and trying to become a better person. So are you talking about the past year or are you talking about only about the present year? 2016. Uh, oh. uh, January of this year is when I started the video series and where I started changing my outlook on a lot of stuff. Uh, like just... I can't control people buying my book, but I can control making it. Mm-hmm. And I'm good at the making it part. And I freaking suck at the people buying it part. Okay. So I'm just going to concentrate. I'm going to make the books now. And yeah. that's that's it. That's yeah. all where I live. I'm going to make the books, and then I'm going to be a pain in the ass to my friends. <laughs> right. And be like, hey, can I come on your show and, and talk about the things that I made? Right. So that's hey, what I'm doing it. here. Actually, um, having a great time. 
Oh, so, you are yeah. very sweet. I, I mean, how long have we been going? Uh, we're three just hours, about yeah. three hours. Yeah. Great! Yeah, we've done it, <laughs> we do it without gas. We do yeah, it. Yeah, it's not, it's not unheard uncommon. of. It's okay. not uncommon. I, I just hope the internet doesn't we're get Our only slightly we're short episodes are when it's just a movie review or a graphic novel review and we don't have any news or ramblings yet. But even then, we go on ramblings, too. So yeah. We're, we're I, I, but a year from now, I'll have a book for you to review. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it because I've been enjoying... Purgatory Pub so far. Uh, I'm excited by, I assume, and from the pages I've seen, I don't know, It's it, the video does show off, and I think This Week in Dark by Gabe you should check out, because it's just a fun series, I think. Thank You're you fun so to watch. Oh, that's what it's uh, called, This Week in Art. This Week in Art. Nice. Because um, the idea is that, like, uh, if I really get going in a comic, there's not a whole lot to see. It's just me sitting at a desk drawing, yeah. and maybe I'll say something pithy to the camera. So the idea was, like, I could make maybe one video per week. Uh, depending on how much material I end up filming with this magic box from my pocket. <laughs> uh, Where are we at now? Um, how many episodes? 14? 15? Wow, nice. Oh, yeah. Weekly. Uh, not. It's, it's actually more than one a week has been coming out so far. Wow. It just depends on how much... Enough for an episode. Yeah. Right, cool. And the episodes are in the neighborhood of like between... Three and six minutes. Nice. The very first episode is like ten minutes. People have short attention spans. They're probably never going to be that long. Smart. And also, just self-consciously, how much can people really stand to see my face and hear me talk about <laughs> it's just nothing? I mean, I think we're getting... I've been looking at you for about three hours and just getting there. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not nearly tired of you, Jordan. Your <laughs> oh. boyish smile. But uh, that brings... I guess the big thing. You He's have a Kickstarter. I'm always <laughs> am. You have the Kickstarter for an art book yeah. that is live right now, and that is, if they're still here, two hours and 53 minutes in, <laughs> give them the pitch! Uh, I, yeah, so I'm making an art book. I, if you're going to do a thing, you you better do the thing. And uh, what I told somebody else was, uh, uh, I don't have professional goals. I don't have five-year goals anymore. I have, I have, before I die, I want X, Y, and Z. I want to die a master, and I would like to die a master at illustration. And the best way to do that is to just draw a lot. So I would like to make an art book at least once a year or once every other year. And this is my first one, and it's a collection of the past year and a half. I took all of my sketchbooks and scanned in all the best stuff and showed it to all of my art buddies and had them curate, keep this, drop that, drop that, keep this, arrange this order that way. And I put little captions about where each drawing came from. And I am now kickstarting uh, a limited edition, full color, wide format art book. It's uh, ten and a half inches wide, seven and a half inches tall. And um, what I'm doing that's different is uh, I, I'll kickstart a book, I get just enough money to print a thousand. And then I ship out a hundred books, and then I just sit on several hundred books in my house that I try to sell at conventions with varying degrees of success. This is a limited edition. I'm making a hundred. That's it. Uh, and if you want one, backing this Kickstarter is the only guarantee that you're going to get one. It's called Stuff and Things by Gabriel Dunstan. It's an inside joke with my wife and I. Uh, and it's an, an apt description. It's just a bunch of drawings that don't really fit anywhere else. Nope. Uh, it's on Kickstarter right now. It'll go for the next nine days. I'm 69% funded. And what's going to happen with this book is I'm, uh, the goal is, uh, $2,500. Okay. The book for just the book, it's 20 bucks plus shipping. Uh, the shipping is $2. Uh, nice. so the idea Keep is shipping. instead of funding just enough to print it, I'm funding, here's what I would make if I sold each and every copy. And so I'm going to get the book printed, ship it out to everybody who backed me. And if I've got extras, take them to conventions, and if I don't, I'm done. And I'll have a small stack of cash to the side. 
uh, embracing my my creative ADD. I wrote this short film a while ago, and all the money that I'm getting that I I will make from this Kickstarter after I ship out all the books and all the back of rewards is financing this short film, uh, because it's easier to just finance a short film than to kickstart. Say, hey, I've never made a movie before. Do you yeah. want to give me money? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, so what? So what? You already have a established career in exactly, um, and then uh, and then Fine. use use you know get a yeah. little extra to make. I'm this. not I'm not an everyday guy. I'm just not that consistent. But I am an every year guy. So every year or every other year, I can absolutely put out another art book of just doodles and finished drawings that are sometimes just pencil or pencil and ink. Or fully inked and fully colored with markers. Every bit of art inside of this book is uh, done on paper with pencil. None of it is digital. Uh, just to just to let people know, um, so we're recording this on February twelfth, um, but it will probably go up. In fact, I'm going to say it will go up on the sixteenth. Um, so by then, there will be how many days left? Uh, just a few days. It'll end uh, the twenty first. Okay. Late late night, uh, just so before midnight 20, on the twenty first. When this goes up, there'll be five days to get in there and do it. Yeah. Um, oh. Awesome. I beg your pardon, y'all. No problem. Hello, beloved. We are wrapping up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's yeah. wrap it up. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. As it's been great having you. We're the, the you're been come any time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I hope I don't bore people. No. I uh, have no way of knowing. I'll tell you what. I listened thing, to man. the it's... entirety of your name redacted one. So really, yeah. It's in one sitting. Yeah. Man, that's and now you just fun. heard him three more hours. Yeah, so I've gotten quite my fill of you this week. <laughs> <laughs> did I did I retread too much material? No, it was actually because those guys. Well, they're just like when you have a bunch of nerds with ADHD that like you're gonna get different topics on all uh-huh. over the place. So I think like there was really not much overlap. I mean, obviously we're gonna talk about your Kickstarter, but they talked about all kinds of stuff. So and just like we did. So, ah, so awesome. But yeah, man, I think uh, I think it's it's good. You sound like you're in a good place. Yes. Um I, I think it's really refreshing that we get to actually know whether you're in a good place or not. Most people just put a brave face on shit and oh, you wouldn't yeah. even know it. Yeah. You know? This past heroes, um, there's the there's this cult of fake it till you make it, right? Right. Uh I, I was There's I was, some merit. There's there's merit. It's not wrong, but I was walking table to table. I went up to this this one woman. Her name is Jenny Breeden. She's been making a living off of her webcomics for more than ten years now. Uh and she said, Hey, how's your con going? And I was just in a foul mood. I'm like, it's awful. I'm having just the worst convention yeah. of my life. And she just put both hands on her table and reached out towards me and says, Thank you so much for saying that. Because I am too. And everyone else I talked to is trying to put a brave face on it, and I thought I was the only one who was just shitting the bed this weekend. Yeah. Thanks so much for telling it like it is. I mean, there's something to be said for don't be a downer, which right. I'll... Both are, both are valid. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best not to be a downer, but uh, I, I, the coffee and hate man will no longer mentor it. <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right. Well, I, I think that's a that's a good start. Was that your New Year's resolution for the year? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, the mincing of the words is over. It's the, the idea in my head is like, man, when I was really... Tr- when I was really, really trying, nobody was listening. So if they're not listening now, I don't care anymore. Well, no, that's a good point. And it is, and it is like... It is interesting that you know now you have the web series that's going to just say instead of instead of trying to put a professional I'm I'm perfectly functioning human which nobody really is yeah but I'm what you know that? to try to pretend that you're that um, instead you're just going to say I'm going to put myself out there and we'll see how that does yeah you know what I mean yeah. maybe because I I you know it's I always find it interesting to see who somebody really is you know what yeah. I mean I think that's it's very hard to be able to 
find out who somebody really is. And when somebody opens up, like you have on this podcast, and, and hopefully like that web series is, that's great. I mean, that's people because people can relate to it, you know, yeah. obviously. And what's really interesting this is something I learned over the last year. Because uh, I've been learning a lot about writing and what makes good writing, especially TV writing. I'd love to do that. Uh, hyper-specificity is interestingly relatable. And I never really understood that. I always thought, yeah. like, well, the more, like, generalized it would get, seems like it would be more relatable because more people would be able to fit within the bubble. But that's actually not true. It's, it's, it's interesting how the more specific something is, interestingly, the more people can find a piece of it to relate to yeah. really specifically. Or it's, it's, there's a voyeuristic aspect. Yeah. It's like, wow, I'm really seeing how somebody else lives. Uh, like the Trekkies documentaries. Right. Um, like Megan's, I tried to get Megan to watch Star Trek with me and she wasn't into it. She saw Trekkies and she's like, I have to see Star Trek now. Right. I have to know what inspires these people. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and, um, she's since been completely infected with my nerd. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, last, for last... the record, Deep Space Nine is still the best one. Like we're watching it for the fifth time and it's still the best. The way we, that's, that actually leads us to the last thing we usually do, which is, uh, what are you, what are you going to be doing? Um, going forward, like so, re- reading, yeah. watching, whatever you're gonna like, your entertainment okay. tastes for the, the very next. first thing I'm going to read next is Terminal Protocol by Jordan. Alcindor. All right, he's over here yeah. laughing, but it's absolutely gosh darn true. I've got my copy, and I'm so freaking stoked. I'm very glad to hear it's that. It's really good. The next thing it's I'm going really to good. do is uh, I finished inking the chapter opener for Purgatory Pub Book Three. I'm gonna I just refilled all my gray markers, so I'm gonna go back and gray it up and letter it. Nice. And I might actually release it. As a digital mini comic for a dollar, I I don't know. Fun. It's like ten t- pages maybe, and that's I we'll we'll see. Uh, the other thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to keep making videos for my video series this week in art by Gabe Dunstan. Please look awesome. me up and let me know if it's if you think it's worth your time. Uh, the episodes are short, and uh, behind the scenes, I'm rehearsing for this short film called Two Go- Two Goons Hide a Body. Awesome, and it's it's supposed to be a, a farcical heist movie that takes place in downtown Raleigh. Cool, nice, very very cool. Where else can people find you? Uh, you can my portfolio website is called firelightsmedia.com Lights with an S at the end. Uh, find me on Instagram at Gabe Dunstan Draws. Find me on Twitter at at Pookie G P O O K E Y G. It's an old nickname that has long since worn off. <laughs> and uh, find me on YouTube, Gabriel Dunstan on YouTube, because now that's a Officially, where I spend most of my time uh, is there and posting on Instagram. Well, the rest of the world does too, so you're in the right place. Yeah, well, let's hope. All right, uh, for me, I'm gonna be. I'm always writing. I'm never not writing. It feels, but I'm I'm working on new projects too that will hopefully get announced more officially in the near future. Uh, reading wise, I'm working through more Buffy and Star Wars comics. I. I have such a big to-read pile, I'll just grab something random tonight and just go, I'll be like, ah, oh, whatever, let me start this Sweet Tooth volume. <laughs> so there's always something. Uh, and you can find me at Indigo Master on Twitter, E-N-D-I-G-O-M-A-S-T-E-R. Uh, you can find me, jordanelsegg.tumblr.com, for a sporadically updated portfolio site. Uh, and as for the larger Joy of Geek, uh, you know, the joyofgeek.net is all our written content, joyofgaming.com for all of our episode archive. Uh, at the Joy of Game on Twitter, Joy of Gaming, Joy of Geek on Facebook, uh, and yeah, awesome. Uh, you can find me at Rich Lepore on Twitter as well as um, the Joy of Geek.net and the Joy of Gaming.com, like you just said. Cool. Um, you can find me on the Joy of Geek.net on Twitter at KW Shafe. 
Also, I'd like to plug a friend's Kickstarter real quick. It's called Heroes of Homeroom C by Anthony Rutgazer. This is a Canadian writer I met at a con a few years ago. New graphic novel he's written um, about two African-American superheroes in, like, junior high, I think, and um, they're fighting a sorcerer bully. Um, looks really cool, but it's got about, I want to say, 15 to 20 days left on there, so check it out. Heroes of Homeroom C by Anthony Rutgazer. Um, and yeah, I'm always reading different kinds of comics, always writing, so, yeah. Uh, if you want the cutting-edge comics and graphic novels, go to Kickstarter and just browse, because every now and then there's just a diamond on there that you will not find anywhere else. I'm hoping to be on there, eventually. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah. Nice. On that note, I'm Rich Lepore. Jordan Alsaka. Kevin Schaefer. And some freaking guy. <laughs> and we will see you all really soon. Take care. <laughs>